This Friday, the boys are giving you the definitive list of the best video game sequels of all time. Welcome, everyone, to episode 38 of the Friday Night Gamecast, a dedicated video game podcast where two best friends come together to celebrate games and bring you industry news, game impressions, reviews, and more. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm joined by the one, the only, the king of pre-intro stingers, William. Ah, I feel so hot. <laughs> ah, he's, he's got a whole bottle of pre-workout yeah, the in whole, him. The he's ready to go super in. saiyan. <laughs> How you doing, Will? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It is a good Sunday. The weather has held up. Things are nice. I got a, a belly full. Of, yeah, it's, it's good. It was raining a little bit, yeah. but it's good now. It's good I now. got a belly full of Cajun food, so I'm good. I'm good. Ooh, this is you a new went restaurant. to Razzo's? Yeah, I went to Razzo's. Oh, you know. Without me? Oh, but you went with Razzo's without me. <laughs> Where'd you go for you brunch? Where'd you, you go for brunch? You didn't even you talk to the boy. You went to Young Cardinal without me. You didn't even talk to the boy. Don't fight me. <laughs> young Cardinal didn't even pan out. We had to go to Cranky's. You're crankied out. I know you're crankied out. No such thing as crankied out. Yo, shout out to Cranky's. If you want to you know, sponsor us, if you want to throw a little ad, a little ad revenue on the podcast, Cranky's, I'm here for the biscuits. I'm here for the coffee. I'll reach Come out on. to the owner. I'll reach out to the owner. You know, we, like, like, we got, I know plenty of creators that have their local coffee shop. Yep. And sponsors, so you know I have to I'll have to do some hitting the boots, boots to the ground, okay. do some IRL networking, yeah, get some sponsorships in. We maybe get some sponsorship from the Dapper Bean, Dapper Bean, that delicious, I, delicious you, coffee truck. I know he's, he's the plugging homie. him on the on the Instagram. You might as well plug him that's, on that's the my boy. Pod Insta. Hey, I'm down right? with it. I'm down with it. William, I just listened to some content that made me incensed incensed will you're a little turnt you're a little turnt <laughs> I, up i am my my rage meter is at 11 right now because i just listened to a piece of content from a good friend of mine in our community <laughs> He's about that slandered stop, stop. one of my favorite games of all time we're not gonna go there all i'm saying is that i i no i can't i can't say anything all this, opinions are valid Woosa. But there are some opinions Woosa. that are don't, wrong. Don't. Oh my <laughs> there are God. some opinions that are just <laughs> flat Mr. wrong. Mr. Animal Farm over here. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Was that the point of Animal Farm? It's like all, all animals are equal, oh. but some are more equal than others. It's true. Yeah. Classism. It's crazy. Shout out to George Orwell. Shout out to the boy. <laughs> Folks, this is episode 38 of the Friday Night Gamecast, and we are going to be talking about our favorite and best definitive video game sequels of all time. But before that, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash Friday Night Gamecast. Thank you so much, Lady Blake, Plox, Amon, Y.A. Peterberg, Hopple, Dave Jackson, the Intergalactic Pinecone, Fabulous Brianna, Chris Ware, Eric Guest, and Rick Firestone. These are superstars. Yep. They're all wonderful creators and they're all fantastic human beings, even if they're not main creators. And so thank you all again. Appreciate it. Yeah. Keep it up. Um, no housekeeping for today. Very, very minimal game updates so we can spend more time on the main topic of the show today. Indeed. Um, I'll go ahead and start off this week. 
uh, still in big Final Fantasy 16 mode. I I, I don't want to, you know, bore our listeners with continuing to talk about a game that I'm currently in and like give like half form opinions based on like not really understanding what the full scope of this game is. I mean, I, I have a good understanding of what the scope of Final Fantasy 16 is and I'm just I'm still loving it. There's n- nothing really like everything that people have said about like the mundane nature of the side quests and then not really bringing you a lot of new or interesting material like it's generalized just fetch quest mm-hmm. styled stuff that always ends up in a fight one way or another or it's just a fetch quest where you go one place pick up items come back and yeah. turn it in a little one note yeah super super one note side quests i still don't have a problem with it because there's just as many side quests in in this game that ha- are based around primary side characters and these side quests actually give you more uh, in-depth understanding on character backgrounds of some of these side characters, which is cool. Like there's one character that runs the inn and you do a side quest for him and then realize how he was connected to the larger empire as a whole, kind of like a Justicar situation, like a Samara from Mass Effect type deal. So really cool, interesting stuff going on there. Um, still loving Clive, still loving, loving Jill a lot more Excellent. now than I did at the very beginning of the game. She has an incredible story arc and I am very happy that the, this writing team is taking their time to write multidimensional female characters on multiple fronts. It. And it's not just her. There yeah, are multiple just, female about characters. Mid? You like mid? Oh, mid is great. Mid is, mid is, mid is not mid. I just, I just <laughs> anything but mid. I just love the so. clips of Clive Young. Mid! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really great. So I'm, I'm having a blast with it so far. Other than that, I, I've, I've been a little bit of a lapsed gamer, have, have been still messing around with just some stuff on my ROG ally. Um, you know, playing more Dave the Diver, which is fantastic. Good, still got to sink my teeth in there. I still have been dabbling in cyberpunk, but I also forgot, like, I had a conversation with someone recently. They were like, oh, you should just wait to like really play it until the Phantom Liberty update comes out because Phantom Liberty is going to revamp the entire game. It's going to be like a 2.0. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, So I think I'm probably just because I'm not super far. Mm -hmm. I'm like done with like one of the main intro primary missions. And I think I'm just going to roll a new character okay. uh, when Famine literally comes out. Did you start save. out on the waste? I can't remember where your initial, like your nomad, were you a nomad? I was start? a nomad. Mm-hmm. Are you going to keep nomad? Are you going to go corpo? Are you going to do a street kid? I don't your, know. I think I, I think I will do something different. I think I might go corpo this time yeah, around. That's and what see. I was thinking. I think when I get it, I'm going to end up doing corpo to start. Yeah. It seems kind of cool being like in the mix already in Spoilers for anybody who hasn't played through one of the three openings of Cyberpunk 2027. Skip ahead 30, 45 seconds. <laughs> uh, 2077. Yeah, yeah. So when you're the corpo, you know, you're already in the mix and then you go to do some shady underhanded corpo stuff and you get betrayed and then that's how you get kicked out of the corpo world and then you're oh. kind of at square one like everybody else is. So that'd be really yeah, cool. it's, it's an interesting way to get yourself ingrained in the street life. Because the Nomad seems more of like typical hero's quest. You're nobody that came from nothing. Yeah, and you're you out, just, outsider. You want to come to Night City to make a name for yourself, which exactly. is like pretty by the numbers. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, doing a different run and seeing kind of like that flavored context of what it was like for my new V mm-hmm. in that in that setting to kind of kind of be like that. So looking forward to that. How about yourself? What's What's been going on on your end? As far as on my end, I've continued my little indie run that we had going from when we had Jill on. Shout out to Jill. Shout out to Jill. But I went ahead and I've seen this game before on like the little YouTube clips and kind of t- internet clips. And I was like, eh, 
it looks a little janky and not sure if it's really for me. And then hearing about you and then you also telling me after, you know, beating it, that's like, oh man, Bramble the Mountain King is actually fantastic. You know, you had your chance as far as your your loving spiel that you gave about it. And I was like, you know what? It's on Game Pass. You've been hyping it up. You said it was four hours long. I got some time. I went ahead and beat Bramble in about two days. And that game is really, really good. Yes. <laughs> I'm so time. glad that you yep. liked it. Yep. So man. I had a blast with it. I don't want to get awesome. too crazy because I feel like we'll probably talk about it in depth maybe later on. But as far as the overall visuals are really, really good, especially considering of it being an indie, the environmental visuals are just stunning. Like I effectively getting out of the house and then going into the woods and the forest for the first time, especially when the actual sun comes out when you're there during the daytime running around with the gnomes. Yeah. Gorgeous. Incredibly yep. gorgeous game. Beautiful. And just playing through the overall story, which does get good and dark. It's very grim fairy tale like you were talking about. So I just had a blast from head to toe. I went through and beat the game. It's not something I plan on going through and playing again. I feel like it's kind of those one and dones. Okay. But it was awesome. It was a very yeah. beautiful like you said, about four hours. I think I hit it really at four and some change because yep. I did look around for some extra things. So nothing but good things to say about Bramble. It was awesome. Did you get the 1,000? No. Okay. One of the achievements is to beat the game without dying. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, good <laughs> as, luck with as that As someone one. who's played the game, I'm not doing it. Yeah, that. that's that's not. That's going to take too How much time. How many times I was doing rides down the river Oh my God. And then hitting a wall, yeah. and that counts as a death? No, There's just you. too much jank in that game for me to treat that achievement list as realistic. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, so. and that's that's a real, that, that goes back to other conversations we have in the past about, like, people, some people are achievement hunters and will do it irregardless of how janky a game is, but for me, a game has to earn my time to, like, want to commit to the thousand or the platinum, so yeah. great Some example. people are like, oh, man, I'm, you, all you gotta do is go through and you do the cloud save glitch and da-da-da. I'm like, it's yeah. not worth it. Yeah. The 20 points for, no, I'm okay. Yeah. So yeah. it was cool. Very fun game. I had a blast with it. It was excellent. And then I've been playing more Diablo 4 season one, just Diablo being Diablo. People have been talking a lot about the season being bad. Yeah. Oh, and okay. I mean, it kind of is. <laughs> what have you heard? What have you heard from well, people? Well, mostly is that they've made so many adjustments going into the season as far as leveling and the ways that you do level based on how people have been doing it for the last month and some change. Okay. So they've adjusted how far enemy levels are from you depending on your level so that it's harder for somebody to for example have a level 100 or higher character well not higher but level like 80 or higher character up to level 100 bring in your friend who's level one they stand at the front of a dungeon and then you just kill everything and you kind of power level them it's made it so that now if you're getting xp in your level one if something is like level 60 you're getting xp the equivalent of killing something level 10 so it's going to be more difficult for you to just get power leveled by a friend uh, they've made okay. some different adjustments as far as tooling certain class skills and certain, what are those, aspects that are a part of your okay. more specific class weapons or class armors, which have been, you know, tuned back. Oh, this is too strong. Oh, this is you know, not strong enough, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, it's a game that's so young that I feel like a lot of the tweaking just is from maybe knee-jerk reactions versus okay. them actually having the time to say, hey, this game has been out for you know three months. It's been out for a quarter. These barbarians, these necromancers, et cetera, are doing so much better than all the other characters because of XYZ. Let's bring up some of the things. Because at the end of the day, there is PvP, but I'd say a good 90% of this population is playing the game for PvE, right? Yeah. So yeah. There are sections where they want the game to be difficult, and I feel like for the most part, it is difficult for a lot of people. 
I can't say specifically because I'm not on the dev team, but I just hope they're not looking at some of these crazy runs that people are doing with their sorcerers and with their druids. And, you know, there are people out there doing 4 billion damage in one hit and just understanding that that's not the majority of your population and that the majority of your population isn't going to want to do something like that. And it takes a lot of grinding to it, get there. Yeah, too. it takes grinding and it just takes a lot of inventory management and some luck. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to have fun and play the game and the easier I can level and experience the things that you put into this game. Like I've already put in 90 something hours and the game came out in June, right? So it's yeah. not like I'm not getting my time's worth and it's not like I'm not putting in time. You're not getting your money's worth. You yeah, are yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm definitely worth, getting my money's worth yeah. and I'm, I'm putting in enough time to be like, oh, this is definitely worth it. But if I'm making you know three, four characters and I have to make a character every season, I'd rather be able to kind of get to the meat, which is that end game push while I'm level 70, level 80 plus versus having to sit there and grind through. But I mean, that's all long-winded to say I haven't beaten season one. I don't have a level 100 character yet. The things I'm doing, while it is generally a continuation of what's already in the game, some of the things like the Malignant Hearts are fun. Some people have found some of them that are already broken, which is nice because I feel like in a game like that, you know, you're looking for the broken gear. You're looking for the really rare, cool stuff. And there are some people who dedicate their lives to streaming and they're going to find that. And there are some people that can only play on the weekends and they may get jealous, but I'm like, you kind of got to stay in your lane at that point. Like these people are playing this game sometimes 15 plus hours a day. You play the game 15 hours in like a month. Yeah, like you're not the same. <laughs> you're playing, yeah, you're playing 45 minutes a night. You are not on that level. Yeah, like don't compare yourself to somebody who's streaming for a living. So Yeah, I it is interesting. And I, and I have heard other people and listening to other shows um, that are talking about Diablo 4 right now. And it seems to me that the general pulse is that interest is a little bit fizzling Definitely out waning for and sure. it's also that like they, the way that they have designed the end game and the grind to level 100, I get it. I mean, it's exactly what it is. It is a grind to get there. And I think that's been purposeful by yeah. the developers, but it sounds like to me that they need to do a better job of balancing on there and the conception of like, yeah, you want to give your hardcore gamers, streamers, content creators, you want to give them a space where they can, do a lot of that like grinding and stuff for like views that they're going to put on their channel and talk about this is how you got 4 million hits on the butcher or something like that mm -hmm. you know something that people can use as, as a hook for their audiences but at the same time they need to respect that in my opinion this is assumption but in my opinion that the vast majority of diablo 4 players at this point are generally casuals yep. And like they need, and this is the same problem that Halo Infinite had. They made it way too hard to level up and complete the battle pass as you're playing through it. If you want to keep people in the game or interested in it, just make it easy to level. Yeah, that's like rule number one. Just make it easy to level throughout the entire thing, even if you want to make it just slightly a little bit more difficult towards the end and higher levels. So you want them to run a few more games, a little bit more time. But it's like good game design relies on constant like dopamine activation yeah, the hamster and, wheel. and the hamster wheel and you as the player as the gamer seeing the rewards every single time you play and when you're not seeing that or you're not feeling that from the gameplay that's when people are going to start to peter out and if they want to treat this like a live service game it's like it's weird because diablo 4 feels like it's hugging the boundaries of like they want to be live service but they're not like fully committing to it the way that a destiny would yeah in a sense so it's it's kind of interesting the way that they're approaching it so we'll see 
hopefully that they start learning from this and then later on you know seasons two or season three like it's going to be like a final fantasy 14 style situation where everybody just loves it and their community engagement is great so so we'd love to see it yeah hopefully it gets there definitely that's going to be it for our game updates for this week i wanted to share a couple of news items uh one thing that did pop out that i just noticed and i wasn't Sure, I haven't been able to find an article because I, I threw this in there on the fly, but I did remember seeing a couple of posts on Twitter about this from different reputable sites and everybody reacting to it. But my understanding is that uh, the CEO of Sega and Yoshi P have agreed to bring Final Fantasy to Xbox, mm. which has been a long time thing that has been a big point of contention for a lot of Xbox gamers. I've heard it from several folks in the community, as well as from different folks throughout just obviously you know my my friends who are gamers just saying that they're really disappointed because they don't own playstations but they love final fantasy or they love their time in the earlier final fantasies but they haven't been able to enjoy games like like 15 when it came out or 16 in this case since it is you know exclusive to the playstation 5 um so this is exciting to hear and it also is exciting to hear that maybe this is going to bring more accessibility because to be frank, like if they bring the remastered, like the pixel remasters to the Xbox mm-hmm. and there's a sale, I would, are I would gonna, just, are you going to get them? I would get them to have them. To I'm not, not saying, <laughs> I'm just saying that maybe like a, a wild hair might get up my ass at some point and I might decide to just, you know, boot up six. Cause I've heard really good things about six. Gotcha. Also, um, our good friend Dave Jackson ca- talks constantly about how good 10 is. Have you ever played 10? No, I haven't really played. Well, I've played enough of 10, but I haven't beaten, I should say, 10. Okay. Like, I've okay. played enough to get at least decent way through the story, and then I did this fun thing. I, I think I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but there's a section where to get some of your ultimate weapons, you have to kind of go out of your way. One of the ultimate weapons, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Someone's going to be cursing me out in the comments, I'm sure, but it's this like kind of more black clad like a like a witch-ish character i can't remember her name off the like an organization right 13 shorty <laughs> no unfortunately <laughs> but no i just can't remember her name oh goodness gracious because she's an x2 as well but anyways for her, one of her ultimate weapons you have to go to this field where there's lightning strikes that are out and like the screen flashes you press like the x button and you dodge a lightning strike you have to dodge like 200 lightning bolts in order to get this item that you can then use to upgrade her weapon into the ultimate weapon or, okay you know like make rather craft her ultimate weapon so there's a couple of sections like that but it's nothing that i ever put enough time into to actually go through and beat the game fully yeah like i'm trying to think because i'm still playing re7 remake and i didn't beat all of 10 and i never touched 13 and i haven't played 16 yet so yeah i haven't really gone all the way through a full final fantasy game before so. yeah well there's that i think that a lot of them too rely so much on the legacy of the pixel games mm-hmm. that like carried forward to today people like i i think i've mentioned this before and maybe we've had conversations outside of the recordings on this but like i feel like the thing about final fantasy that people have is that it's one of those where they understand the structure and the expectations of what developers want from you playing a jrpg like final fantasy is the definitive like standard in my mind of what a jrpg should be probably people will at me about that no xeno gears you know cross whatever I, mm. I i don't know because i don't have that touch point i didn't have a ps1 i didn't really i don't really have the basis for a lot of those games but i feel like a lot of them if you if you a, a lot of legacy final fantasy players have 
some impl- in like implicit bias towards the newer games because of their knowledge and their their history with Final Fantasy as a franchise as a whole, mm-hmm. which is cool for me coming back and like playing 16 without any touch in like most JRPGs in general, even though, you know, I have played a few, yeah, a like handful. Yeah, I don't have any baggage. Yeah, I don't have a lot of the baggage, but like it's so cool how like they've been able to bring that forward in the future. So that's cool. But Square's bringing it to Xbox. Only other piece of news that I wanted to bring up and share and just commiserate with you about mm-hmm. is that Elon has officially destroyed Twitter. What do or you, as we oh, should so say, what do you mean? Exeter. 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 <laughs> X, X, X. What is this Twitter you speak of? Yeah. I only know of X. I only know of X. Are we going to be exiting? Are we going to be watching no, I don't do that. X I don't videos? Z- we're not going to watch any X videos. <laughs> <laughs> We've already had this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> that was we last have. week. <laughs> well, that was last week. I'm sorry. We're saying we're saying the same tired fucking joke, but just because it makes me fucking mad. And it was like you came you came earlier this week to knock out a recording, and yep. we um and we and you were like opened up the laptop, and you were like, oh no, he's changed the logo. It's I was happened. like, he's been changed the yeah, the, yeah. the platform logo, but my I my thing had still been the bird on the phone. I still yeah. had the bird on the phone, and now it's, it's officially an X. Now it's officially an X. So, yeah, sick. <laughs> Good times. I don't know even how to classify this event in our lives. Anyway, that has been our in our introduction. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a quick music break before we get into the main topic of the show where we discuss the best sequels of all time. So stay tuned, folks. So, Will. We're in the main topic of the show. We're talking about best video game sequels that we have played, that we have experienced, that in our opinion are the greatest sequels that are not original entries into the series of the franchises that they are part of. And so, like, I kind of just said it there, but could you discuss for our listeners, like, your definition of what is a video game sequel or what you're considering that? For me specifically... It's really just something that continues a already kind of preset storyline for either characters or a world. So there are sometimes a sequel where you're following the exact same characters from that last game and just seeing the continuation of their story slash relationship evolve over time, whether it be directly after a game, book, et cetera, has started, or maybe with a time jump introduced. It could also be something to where maybe your character is perished or... They moved away from whatever the current storyline was, but there's a continuation in that same world. You know, the the line, the overall either storyline or the world itself has kind of continued past what was originally stated. And then that could still be considered a sequel because although you're following new characters in new areas, maybe things that your characters did in the last game, book, TV show, etc., shape the world or shape what's going on in the universe. So maybe something similar to the Fallout series where you have something like the Gek or maybe even like in Fallout 3, there's something like when you introduce the more clean water versus the irradiated water, and then you have characters in the far-flung future that are like, oh, the water's clean now. This is something that happened in the past that you dealt with, but the storyline continues. So all that to say, very long-winded way to just say as long as you carry on something that's happened previously. Like, it's difficult for me to be like, oh, man, Final Fantasy 16 is like a great sequel when things are just so far removed from the other storylines of Final Fantasy. For the most part, I'm right. sure someone's going to 
hit me up and be like, well, actually, there's very specific points where they're all intertwined, X, Y, Z. We talked about Final Fantasy X a little bit ago when people have pointed back and I'm like, oh, there's parts of the old games that are like attached to Final Fantasy X, even though they're in different worlds. It's like they're shared dimensions. And yeah. that's getting super timey-wimey on me. You know, you're stacking layers of universes on top of one another, and uh, it's a little too far over my head. <laughs> Sorry, listeners, there's a... Uh... <laughs> It's like a loud <laughs> car right outside of our recording studio. So, sorry. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we were, kind of, yeah, exactly. Great. Final Fantasy and anthological entries to long-running franchises is where it gets a little bit hazy because, like, do we define that as a sequel or not? I think, for me, it's about, like, is it a shared universe and is it a continuation of the story that's been set up by the initial entry in the franchise? Mm-hmm. So that's for our little mundane conversation about how we're defining sequels and everything that's involved with that. So while we're there, I'll go ahead and just let you kick it off. You know, any any one of these games on your list, go ahead and just give it to us. What's, well, what's the well, first one you want to discuss? Got to start off with a banger. So the classic John Halo. <laughs> Mr. Master Ring, Mr. Himself. Ringu, Ringu, <laughs> good old Half uh, and Half Life Two. Goodness gracious, Halo Two. Halo so two. goodness, it is just as far as when you think video game sequels. Because me being a young impressionable mind, Halo One, Halo CE, officially should say coming out, enjoying that with my friends and just being like, oh, I can't wait for the next one to come out. And little did my little brain know, even after seeing that awesome, awesome. E3 spot that is still not official until uh, later on. It's apparently supposed to come out as like a real level, but they were like, Hey, here's Halo two. Here's like the introduction. And then actually getting my chance to play it. I remember staying home from school specifically to play oh. Halo two. I'm pretty sure were you sick. You really <laughs> sick. Or I, I, I just told my mom I wanted to stay home. <laughs> well, good. Oh, he got it like that. I'm, He's got it like I, that. Cause I'm pretty confident that my mom took me out to the midnight to grab it. It's like I brought it home. So she understood how important yeah, this was yeah, for you. Yeah. Okay. So she's she's always been, uh, I'm trying to think of like the, I guess the the good way to say it, an enabler. Okay. <laughs> when, it comes okay. To, when it comes to the video My games. My parents were a little bit more strict with me when it came to games. Mm-hmm. Like they did not, they, no shenanigans. You're going to school one way or another. They, they did not care. I was like, this is so special. I've been doing so good. And she's like, whatever. So then I got the chance to watch Back in the day, way back in the day, you may remember if you watched a little TV show called G4, they had the day that Halo 2 came out, there was like an all-day Halo special. So I remember watching like a bunch of stuff about Halo 2 that day and then playing a bunch of stuff about Halo 2. It was awesome. It was it was one of the best days ever. So all that to say, Halo 2, my introduction to really Xbox Live in general, like I was got Halo 2, booted that up, made my live profile, jumped on. I still remember my very first ranked online halo 2 xbox live match was on ivory tower and it was just a straight up ffa slayer so nice that was awesome it's where i met one of my friends where i could probably go through and mark my lineage as far as meeting that one friend in my very first game of all time joining my clan on halo 2 which that was one of the coolest things ever was having the clan aspect is that of the halo first 2. time you had joined a clan mm-hmm. okay so having like the clan aspect in halo 2 playing with all of those friends going from there to the Gears of War series where I like jump on and meet my new group of friends that I've now been playing with for like the last 12, 13 years. So all goes back to Halo 2, one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, Just from, you know, slapping it in, hearing the...
amazing, gorgeous. And uh, I don't know. I feel like there's so many things I could just gush about with this game. But even with the ending being a little cliffhangery, it just felt so good to get through that section of the Halo series. Right. And, you know, play through from going on Earth, fighting on Earth amongst the different Marines against the Covenant, mm-hmm. jumping yeah. onto the Scarab when you're on New Mombasa. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's just crazy. I love that game so much. For me, it, like... <laughs> Halo 2 is so remarkable and so good for for many, many different reasons other than the fact that, like, it is a clear example of, like, Bungie excellence at mm-hmm. play. I think it was also, more than anything else, it was what they did with the Arbiter. I think the Arbiter oh, the and Arbiter. the Arbiter's character in that game was the X factor for me. Mm-hmm. Um, remind me of the voice actor's Keith name. David. Yeah, Keith David, who played the Arbiter and just his incredible, obviously he's the, like he's one of those voices that sure. you know, it's yep. like, yeah, like you, you know, his voice when you hear it and he just obviously did an impeccable performance mm-hmm. and it's like him and Lance Riddick, like one of those, like almost nearly instant to instantly recognizable voices, voices yeah. in video games. But also just like it being an incredible story, like Miranda Sanchez, uh, Miranda Keys, Sanchez, I don't even know who that is, <laughs> but Miranda Keys taking over for her father and, you know, you know, being on the pillar of autumn and yeah. everything that was involved with her interacting with chief. And obviously that first incredible intro where they're in, uh, I think it's new Mombasa where it's like that first mission takes place. And then they have to use the, the, the jump drive, the FTL drive mm-hmm. to get out like while they're in atmosphere and that causing an explosion mm-hmm. and everything that was involved with it. And if you read the books, they kind of explain like why that happens or how that's all set up. And it's just, it's incredible in, in, Obviously, Halo 1 was good, and it was a great game, and it laid the foundation for what we know as first-person shooter games today. Like, yep. it literally is, like, the the template that people should aspire to in terms of framing their games now. But Halo 2 took the extra step forward of actually telling a great story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it just it yeah blows my mind. Not to mention... Breaking fucking Benjamin. Benjamin. Let's go. When you're at the, the <laughs> what is it, high charity? <laughs> like, oh my God. And yeah. you're fighting those hunters and it's like. <sighs> yeah. No, yeah. it's awesome. Such good times too. Yeah. Introducing well, the brutes, doing that initial start when you're on the ship and, you know, giving the covenant back their bomb. Oh so good. God. Oh, so good. Oh, the first so time good. I saw that cutscene, I was like chills running up and down my spine. Sam, we were talking about New Mombasa. I almost forgot to just the best part as far as getting there hearing Avery Johnson's like speech about regret. Oh, oh so good. Sergeant Johnson. I've been here. I've, I don't know why this has been happening, but I've been seeing multiple memes mm-hmm. on, uh, on Twitter or Exeter, whatever the fuck. Yeah, I'm always going to call it. <laughs> just call it Twitter. I'm, I'm just going to call, call it Twitter. Twitter. I'm never changing. Bird app. I'm never, yeah, I'm never changing. It's always Twitter. But like I see this video of people and it's like a, it's like a video of some some dude driving in an action movie. It's like me driving the Warhawk at the end of Halo 3 yeah. after Sergeant Johnson dies. And I'm like, oh, my yeah. heart. My, my pain. Spoiler <laughs> alert for people who haven't played Halo, Halo 3, 3 If you haven't played Halo 3, you got problems. Com- come on. You got fucking problems. Come on. Come on. I'm a sick knave on you. While we're on Halo 3, though, why would you put Halo 2 above Halo 3 as a sequel? And that's... A tough question. Really, for me, it's a lot of nostalgia in the okay. fact that I really love Halo 2. I loved the multiplayer. And there are a lot of people that would say, objectively, Halo 3, whether it be the story, multiplayer, both are better. And I can't necessarily fight them on that. Specifically for me, the nostalgia really puts it over the top. I talked about that being my first Halo online experience as Halo 2, of course, and okay. my first Xbox Live experience in general. I just have so many 
good fond memories of playing with my friends in the clan. After school, you go home, pop on Xbox Live, jump into just a straight up, no, no, no party chats back then. So you'd have to get into a game lobby and then just not start the match. And we would sit there and just chat and like BS around. And then after an hour, we'd then just play some games where we're just you know, randomly killing each other or we'd join up in some friends and we'd do some big team battle or something. It just, it's such a different time in my life and it felt so free, felt like you had all the time in the world and those experiences really just put Halo 2 above. Okay. Like I liked a lot of the stuff that was going on there. When you talk about Halo 3 versus Halo 2, there were of course a lot of things in Halo 3 to love about it, but I every time I think about my definitive Halo experience, it's Halo 2 original, and then maybe even on that same line when they introduced the Halo 2 anniversary with those updated graphics for the cutscenes, which yeah. are just incredible. I never played the anniversary. Oh, edition. okay. Am so I missing out? Add that to our list. Nah. We're gonna boot up and don't don't sigh. We're gonna boot up. It doesn't Master take long Chief. To get through it's that not game. bad. Like, no, yeah, not Master Chief bad. Collector's Edition, and I'll, I'll carry you. It's fine. No yeah. worries. <laughs> whoa, whoa! I'm actually good at Halo. I played on all of those games on Legendary, so I don't want to. I don't want to hear that from you, sir. We, we, we played the Reach together. Well, I, I listen, listen, okay. <laughs> Halo Reach is a different game. Halo Reach is a modern game. You're also a fucking sick, sick alpha gamer, all right? So let's not compare <laughs> my capacity to game and your capacity to game. I beat those games on Legendary. That should speak for itself. That's true. That's true. Look, you know, I'm, I'm not going to. <laughs> I might have died along the way. <laughs> I might have okay. fucking got murked by brutes and elites and grunts alike. Well, but. we're not going to be doing any dying on Legendary and Halo 2 because when you do that, you got to start from the beginning of the level again. So I'm oh, not. Really? Yes. Oh, you're, that's right. Yeah. This sucks. <laughs> Is that not true in three or did they check? I can't, remember. I can't remember that in three. I okay. can't remember. Okay. I, I didn't lasso all the games. I'm not like way, way, you know, that good. Yeah. I think the last game, well, I legendary infinite, but it's also not, you know, die and restart because of the whole open world nature. So, okay. They were fairly generous with the checkpoints. Gotcha. But all that to say, Halo 2, definitive Halo experience to me. I love it so much. I'm always going to go back to it. It's one of those things that I still have my Halo 2 legendary like disc in the steel case Ooh. and it's at home and nice. outside looks a little beat up she was a little scratched up case, though. But, but the disc itself is beautiful and it's one of those cool things that i think people will overall kind of think is crappy but the inside manual that they don't make anymore because of course video games don't do that yep. the manual is covenant based so it's like from really? the perspective of the covenant writing the manual and it talks about different weapons and firearms and stuff in the manual versus if you bought the normal regular case version it's from the perspective of the marines and the unsc, the UNSC yeah yeah so then it has you know, oh we talk about covenant weapons because they're all alien we don't know how they work etc yeah. etc et based then, on oni information exactly and okay and then the steel book has all the covenant sides so they talk about their weapons and their the their, heretics and they, exactly and <laughs> yeah. like their religion in detail and then when they talk about a battle rifle they're just like Oh, it's just some primitive earth thing that shoots ballistics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> primitive ballistic yeah, yeah. weapons. So it was, it's awesome. So good. <laughs> so uncivilized. So just trash. <laughs> they don't have swords like us, laser swords oh my from a civilized culture. You want to hear something really sad? I don't remember that part about the this like the guide inside of the steel case being, um, you know, I, I don't remember that little aspect, mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure I remember owning that silver like metal steel case yeah. for the for the definitive edition of a halo 2 and i think i got rid of it i think i sold it at some point it's okay as an aside just to put us on the same level i was that 
fool, that fool of a took that had the Super NES. And then after, you know, a couple of years, whatever, not really playing it, I was like, let me take this to GameStop and sell it so I can get a PS2. <laughs> Wait, you went from Super NES to PS2? Like, I've, I've played things in between, but okay. when I think, I can't remember if it was the PS, yeah, it was the PS2, I think, was coming out. Maybe it was the Slim that was coming out, because I oh. went through the original and then I got a Slim. Okay. And I was like, oh, let me sell this. I haven't touched this Super NES in a long time. It's just gathering dust. Sad. Trash. Sad. Like, there's so many things. I traded in my, yeah, my GameCube to GameStop. I did the same trash. thing. Trash. Traded in my PS2, trash. my GameCube, my N64. I had some yeah. of those cool, like, uh, translucent N64 controllers, too, now. Those things you probably run you, like, a, what, 150 on eBay or some shit? See, that's why like, I know time travel isn't real, because if it's real in the future and I have access to it in any way, you know, child me would have gone to GameStop to go sell those things and I would have came out of nowhere and slapped myself. But like, I'm like put it down. <laughs> put it, you, you put it back you right now. You put it back right now. But One like, you're going to have a video game podcast you're going to talk about. The is, it. is that like, if the time traveler does come back and they try to change the past, like, do you think that like them changing like video game stuff like has like more immediate impacts onto unraveling, untangling this reality. That's a whole different episode. <laughs> you're right. That's you're right. a whole different episode. We talked about Halo 2. It's my fucking turn now. <laughs> Speaking of GameCubes and all of that, um, I think the the first sequel that I would like to discuss uh, for this episode is Super Smash Bros. Melee. Hey. Good fucking game right yes, sir. here. Yes, Super sir. Smash Bros. Melee, similar to what you're talking about with Halo 2, I have a lot of nostalgia for it. I have a lot of nostalgia for like the GameCube generation in general. Um, funny enough, even though I never played any of the Resident Evils at that point in my gaming career, I had a fantastic time with Melee. Obviously, as an N64 owner and as a, a young kid with friends who also had N64s, the original Super Smash Bros. was one of those games where it's like you walk around your neighborhood with your extra N64 controller and you do that four-player like couch co-op, you know, action yeah. on TV. And it, that was great. You guys trying to play Smash? Melee <laughs> took that like live fighter, that that kind of that tempo of just being a very fast-paced action brawler up a notch to just 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. uh, I vividly remember, even at a young age, like being however old I was when this game came out, Super Smash Bros. Melee being super fast, like much faster than I remember all of the characters being able to manipulate in the N64. And I, and I think it probably had to do with like the improved graphical engine or the improved engine that the GameCube was operating at the time mm -hmm. at just up front. They, you got more frames out of a game like that and you you need as many frames as you can yeah. because that game is absolutely wild I, when i played this game i didn't know anything about <laughs> technique of fighters like i oh, was, you weren't you weren't down with wave dashing you i was you didn't not know wave, about, were you wave dashing <laughs> when this came out i mean not initially but okay. i definitely got to the point where i was doing like wave dashes and, okay you no know, it's funny though i was doing wave dashes but i mean my combos were so trash i was just relying on <laughs> smash attacks yeah, and I was like, I'm gonna hit you as hard as I can until you go flying off the stage. That's brother. literally my <laughs> approach. I button mashed and I had you, you, characters. You know about spikes? You were trying to like spike people off the stage and no, I I I was really reliant on a lot of items. Mm. I was really mm. I was a big hammer guy. One of those guys. And I was a big laser sword guy too. Oh, I was a big laser sword. I I beeline to laser swords and I was pretty I was pretty good with it. Pretty, pretty good. I was pretty, pretty good, good compared to those little shitheads that I was running with back in the day. <laughs> Shout out to my middle school high like elementary school friends mm -hmm. um yeah just had a really good time and remembering 
Pikachu still being OP in this. This was my first introduction to Fire Emblem characters. So Roy is our boy. Like yeah. Roy quickly became like one of my favorites because he had an awesome like like back B attack where he like slashes in both directions. Mm-hmm. So it's really good, especially if you're surrounded in a free for all match um, with enemies on both sides to do that. I vividly remember that. I also loved this because Zelda wasn't in the original super smash brothers but she was in melee they had a ton of other characters and this is i think is the first time where it's like they took super smash bros as a franchise and said this is gonna be a like a let's throw everything in the kitchen sink in here and just you get to play as whoever you want your favorite nintendo or maybe even non-nintendo sometimes sega characters or something like that so they they did a great job of including people that i wouldn't normally have knowledge or access to at that point as a young young gamer like so Ness. yeah Ness, like Ness. i didn't know mother. who the fuck he was yeah, yeah like and then it, but just also zelda as a character her being able to change into sheik and then yes. moving around and it being two entirely different, different movesets yeah, different play styles yeah, that awesome. really can throw people off of balance so i remember that i remember people really enjoying playing as the pokemon in that game as, as for the different characters and stuff um i was also like super smash bros was the only reason why i knew kirby was a character like as a kid like i was not introduced to any kirby games i think i I must have saw them and i knew realized at some point oh kirby games are our own thing but this was my first introduction to kirby and i kirby was one of my mains uh, alongside roy and I'm trying to think of who else. Who are your mains? I love in Fox. You were a big, big Fox, Fox guy. guy. Okay, big he's Fox fast, guy. just super fast, super he's quick, very fast. I just love spamming the laser because you know you don't oh, do yeah. you don't do any movement as far as knocking people away. Bullshit. Yeah, but just <laughs> racking up damage. So you know you put a bunch of damage on somebody. They're not getting pushed back, so they don't recognize how close they are to like the KO style. And then they get up close and you up smash. They go flying off the screen. Oh, what? Yeah. I'm like, yes, and I lasered you the whole time. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then of course Captain Falcon, the boy Falcon, come, punch. show me your moves, <laughs> just taunting constantly. Yeah, so good. Yeah, were you a big taunter? Is that what you? Is that what Every you did? second, if, if you got knocked into the air, I don't care if you were like actually dead smashed or not. You got knocked into the air. Come on, every single time. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine your friends back then getting so pissed off. Oh, man, this game is bullshit. You know, funny. Oh, I was that guy. I was so obnoxious. I do something. <laughs> I set up like a whole WWE storyline when I'm playing this thing. I, if I play as Kirby and I grab you, and you don't know if you know, but I remember, I'm sure you do, the Kirby up grab and he, oh, yeah. he does like the pile driver. He goes flying up yeah, in the air, slam yeah. back down. I'd grab the person and you know, you press the start button, it zooms in on the characters. I'm like, I bet you're wondering how you found yourself in this position. <laughs> well, guess what? You're going to have to deal with this now. <laughs> Getting like up, go up. He goes down right before he hits the ground, pause again. Oh, man. You're going to feel this. This is going to be real painful. Insufferable. I was obnoxious. <laughs> oh, man. You hit him with a falcon punch. Falcon punch. The second it connects, you freeze. Pause button. Zooms in. See the punch. You see the characters like reacting as they're getting punched. I'm like, oh, yeah, you better go flying off the stage now, boy. You must say your prayers. <laughs> I'm, I'm apologizing to Will's childhood friends for his obnoxious behavior back then. Uh, but my cousins are used it's, to it. It's fine. It's, it's consistent. Okay. It's, it's okay. consistent. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but shady (laughs) i don't think correct me if i'm wrong and i can get rid of this in the edit but like did we talk about how much of a corny dad you are that like you you are getting into your ultra instinct form of like the william and how like you went out of your way to do the barbie oppenheimer and you ordered t-shirts and sweaters for you and sarah of course for the the barbenheimer t-shirts and sweaters 
but there, there was nothing else to do. I saw the post on Instagram and you were just cheesing. You were like, hey. yeah, man. And she's just sitting there just grinning with her, just, just shaking her head. Mm-hmm. I can see exactly what that moment was like, but like, it was blessed. Yeah, it was a good time. And you got to see him back to back. I will say that a lot of people that are like, oh, you watch Barbie first and then you watch Oppenheimer so you can really sit with the weight of it. I say it. Hell with that. You watch Oppenheimer first. You get that three-hour, gorgeous, beautiful, fantastic movie out of the way. It is a five out of five. I love Oppenheimer. No shade to Oppenheimer. Oof. Oof. We'll talk five about we'll talk, five. We'll talk about that we later. Can talk about I saw that right we'll talk about we don't that have later. to pause. We can talk about it right <laughs> this now. This is a video game podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, then you go see Barbie afterwards because it's so good. It's so light and fun. And then they smack you over the head with these great themes that are for women as well as men, as well as boys, as well as girls, and everyone acts super well, and Ryan Gosling is a god among men, go watch that movie. Go watch Barbie. <laughs> you just you just want me to go see it with you so you can go watch it again. Uh, I'll go see it by myself. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. All right, well, it's your turn. What, what else you got for us? Oh, man. Okay, uh, well, I'm trying to think. I, I, I have my list here, right? And I was going to talk about this game that I really, really like. So, Portal 2. Is a fantastic, fantastic sequel. We talked about sequels at the beginning. I mentioned sequels are something that either continues the storyline of the world or the storyline of a character or group of characters. Mm -hmm. And not only does Portal 2 meet both of those, it also does something that I didn't talk about with sequels, where for video games specifically, it takes the gameplay potentially the themes, the way that the world's actually kind of shown to you and developed over time during that first game and just evolves it. It you know cranks it up to 11 and makes sure that you understand how that game was played in order to then turn things upside down and give you a better experience in the sequel. And Portal 2 is really that. Wheatley is so damn funny. He's <laughs> just yeah. a hilarious yeah. character. GLaDOS is a character that was a 10 out of 10 character in the first game, and they make her an 11 out of 10, completely breaking the mold. The introduction of Caroline being GLaDOS and just that scene with her talking about burning down your house with the lemons with Cave Johnson, it's, it's so good. So that game, Portal 2, is a complete masterpiece of a sequel. I'm not talking about Portal 2. I'm going to talk about... Far Cry 3. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the fuck is happening right now? What is going on? <laughs> because I was going to talk about Portal 2 and how much I loved it, and then I remembered from the embers of my soul how much I love Far Cry 3. Okay. I played the original Far Cry, and I played the remake they had of it, which is like Far Cry Primal. Where it's, it oh, kind is of, Primal a remake? Or is it like a homage to, to be Far honest, Cry 1? Primal, Far Cry Primal is kind of a sequel-ish. It's one of those things where it's like a remake of the first game, but from the perspective of, if I'm not mistaken, someone could correct me if I'm wrong, your character getting like these crazy animalistic powers. So instead of just being Jack from the first game and being a dude out on the island killing mercenaries, you end up getting hooked up with like crazy animal powers. So then you have super high jumps and then you can claw people and kill them you can see in the dark and you can use your scent to like track enemies so that was really really cool it was completely different i feel like that kind of started off more of these far cry spinoffs we got like blood dragon and the like that we get into the future things like maybe you know new dawn from far cry 5 but regardless far cry 3 
is where I picked the series back up. I didn't play two. I went back and played two after I played three. Was not a big fan, although I see why people like it. But I really love three just from the sense of exploration you get okay. and the overall choices that you really get. To, it was my first time that I can really think of off the top of my head having this big open world first person shooting kind of style where they say, hey, go be free. If you want to pull up an M60 and just start shooting the hell out of everybody, you have that freedom to do so. If you want to be more stealthy and use your bow and use your knife and then just really push your skills into that position where you're being that silent predator, then you get the chance to do that. And having that juxtaposition of you being a party boy frat guy with all your friends thinking you're going to just go to some random country and kind of party it up and ends up you kind of getting hostiled, right? Like you getting trapped and taken advantage of and all your friends getting locked up and you have to go from this frat bro guy to being a crazy apex predator on this island, you know, there's some problematic elements people talk about the story, but I thought it was just really cool going from the zero to hero in that style of being someone that's kind of overall unassuming to them becoming just a monstrous, bloody badass. I remember the intro to Far Cry 3, and it's exactly like you're saying. It's been the, you know, the spring break on a Cancun trip type situation yep. where they're cracking open beers and, and riding jet, and ski, jet skis on yep. the beach and stuff, and then shit gets real. Yeah, it gets really nutty. But yeah. I just, I love that game so much, and... It has the unfortunate downside of starting the Ubisoft template of, oh, okay. yep, you checklists go up, you, yeah, you do your checklist and you go up and you get to the top point of an area and then you get to scout out things and then you go destroy the camps and then the camps are destroyed and now you have points to go A, B. Were That's the camps weird. interesting at all to go through? There were... Were they cookie cutter by the numbers? For the most part, they were cookie cutter. The most interesting part was just the layout of the camps. Like there were some by the water so that you could do water takedowns. Oh, okay. There were some that were kind of up in the mountains. So you either had to hike up there to get there. You can climb up those little ropes to get up there. Or if you have an area that's maybe next to a mountain, you can then find some paragliders that are just randomly sprinkled on the island because of course they are. And then you jump in the paraglider you glide your way down and then you can start doing those like death from above drops on people and chain together kills. But adding things like those chain backstabs, which are just so cool and just became a mainstay of the series from there. Uh, I feel like the gameplay was super tight as far as the shooting, even the bows, which were obviously not introduced in that game, but I thought that was one of my first time playing a first person shooter where the bow was just super tight and it kind of became the benchmark for most of those first person shooter bows it going like forward. Bow. Yeah. You felt attention. So, so it that. was, it was awesome. And the story was super cool, especially giving you one of, I would say gaming's not even underrated because everyone likes him, but probably underutilized villains in Vaz. Okay. Vaz was so, so cool. Vaz pops up on a lot of lists and we talked about video, like we've talked about villains before yep. and I don't know if he was on your list or if he was on somebody else's list, but yeah, like I, I constantly see his name he's, pop he's up. He's awesome. It's so cool that, you know, years and years, like I would say almost a decade, I want to say maybe it was almost a decade, they brought him back for a DLC for part six when they did a bunch of the villains oh. as DLCs and he was included in there. Okay. So it's, I feel like Far Cry 3 is just a super fun game, of course, because video games, I would say a lot of the times, you know, try to make it fun, but yeah. it's also very tight and it's it's just a blast of a game, something that I'm definitely holding on to when it comes to sequels just because of how much fun I had with it. It, I think Far Cry 3 probably gave Ubisoft a lot of the goodwill 
That and like the Assassin's Creed series gives Ubisoft a lot of goodwill that I still hold on to to this day. To this day. <laughs> to this, to day. this day. Whether they or keep, not they deserve it. Yeah, they keep putting out stuff and I'm just like, I mean, they gave me Far Cry 3, they gave me Assassin's Creed 2, so I, I, I can't hate them. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, I keep hearing a lot of people talk about the Assassin's Creed Mirage and how it looks exactly like Odyssey and Origins in terms of the user interface and stuff. It looks cleaner yep. to me. It looks more simple. I think we'll just have to wait and see when it comes out if they have streamlined it enough for it to really truly do what they have been advertising which Agreed. is that we're bringing back the core identity of assassin's creed hey, so here's hoping man here's my question hoping. is though is that is far cry 6 on the william backlog to get to one day one day potentially just because of like it becomes a game pass or something yeah if it's like a game pass thing because far cry 5 is on game pass and i still haven't beaten it <laughs> no <laughs> it still haven't beaten oh it. no uh, but at least i started it so that was the only reason i started it because it was on game done, pass aren't you no like, i'm nowhere near done oh, i think God, i took I down you put like 50 hours in that well here's game. the thing i did but that's one <laughs> it's an open world game and i'm an addict so i have to do every little thing which is the worst but also it's an open world game that by its golden path is big because you have three different generals that you have to take down. Okay. Each of them have like maybe 10 or so missions on each of their areas. And then you have to do all of those in order to then fight Joseph at the end and do a bunch of hoopla and wow. do whatever stuff with him. So okay. I've taken down one general and I think I'm halfway through the other one. Oh, wow. And then I haven't even touched the third general. So it's like, I'm, I'm a ways off. Okay. So could I beat it soon? Maybe. Am I this going was, to? I have no reason will. Yeah. Too, because it also like Ubisoft games, there are possible and stuff. It's not like a Dark Souls. You yeah. put the controller down, you get murked. But still, at the same time, it's like they take focus and dedication to really make significant headway. Yeah. So I get that. that. And I also sit there and I'm just like, do I care enough to really take my limited amount of time to drop right. it into an Ubisoft story? Are they telling a story <laughs> that is worth your time? Exactly. For another 40 hours or so, it's going to take you to do that. Yeah. So. So no, I got other things to play. Got it. Cool. Bet yourself what you got. I'm going to go ahead and... Stay away from the Ubisoft train for now. Okay. We might circle back later, but I want to go and jump into one of my favorite sequels and one one of my favorite games of all time uh, in terms of a Western RPG, and that is The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Okay. If you're a longtime listener of a show, I'm going to sound like a soapbox on repeat because I have been evangelizing this game ever since we started the show and how I think it's like one of my favorite games ever. Um and the same still holds to be true to this day. Uh, for, for context, listeners, I have actually played The Witcher 2. I have not beat The Witcher 2 because, you know, I, I got through the, like the first part and I got through the tutorialized section of The Witcher 2 and what they were trying to do with the combat and the gameplay, but it just suffers from really old mechanics and then like CDPR not really understanding how to make a usable uh, combat system in that world. I think like if I really put my mind to it, could I play the Witcher two today? Yeah, of course I could. Mm -hmm. Do I want to? Absolutely not. The Witcher three does not have this problem. And this is another reason why hearing about them remaking the first Witcher is super exciting for me because I'm excited to see where Geralt and uh, Triss and Yennefer's story started in that, in that universe, in that in that world. So I'm excited to see it. Even if those, those like, obviously Geralt is going to be part of it. I don't even know if those, all of the characters that I, I feel yeah, like, like Dandelion as they get introduced. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Dandelion has to be a part of it from the beginning. Cause he and Geralt are such good friends, but I'm really curious to see how the lore and the narrative of everything that we see, uh, kind of taking place or everything that 
Because The Witcher 3 is great, and that being my entry into the franchise is fine because it is a story that can stand on its own two feet and like tell this wonderful high fantasy tale. But at the same time, like it would be interesting to have context of like the events and kind of the political intrigue and what happened to, to like the the organization of witches and wizards leading up to the event of a lot of these kings, you know, targeting magic users and stuff, you know, that that happened in The Witcher Three. And I know that there's a lot that kind of went into it and a lot of like very much like political machinations that happened early on in the game and Geralt being at the center of it all. So, but that being said talking about the witcher 3 today the merits of this game are clear it is a fun combat system a lot of people i've heard kind of poo poo this game to the extent of like they think it's not great they think it's messy Mm -hmm. um I, i i'd have to respectfully disagree i can see where people are coming from in terms of it being overly long it is a pretty long game it probably could have served with a little bit less bloated world design this is one of those maps where it's like the witcher 3 wild hunt map is as egregiously bad as some of those like Assassin's Creed maps for more modern Assassin's Creed games where it's just littered with places and icons you can go. The difference between The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt and a classic Ubisoft game is the fact that you can go to any one of those markers or those icons on the map and you are going to experience something completely different from every single marker one to the next. Whether it's a monster hunt or it's a side quest or it's a bounty that you have to collect. Each one of these systems and each one of these game elements that you're engaging in as Geralt have something going on that you really haven't encountered before. Even if like the mechanic is the same and it's just you killing a monster, the monsters are completely different. The NPCs that you talk to that are based around these side quests or based around some of these monster hunts they all have interesting motivations and very defined personalities and clear voices from the writers who are in the writing room designing this game. It's all just a wonderful melody of uh, things that kind of came together to work out perfectly. I've said it before on the show, but for listeners who haven't heard me talk about this at length, I played The Witcher 3 um, in 2018, which is about, I I can't do math, it's like three or four years after it released in 2015. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so I played it at the point in time where it's like CDPR probably had plenty of time to do QC the way that they're working on Cyberpunk 2077 right now. And maybe it should just be a new rule of thumb is that don't buy CDPR games on day one. No. Wait until, <laughs> wait. <laughs> wait until two or three years down the line after everyone has said, oh, this game is the worst game ever made to actually play it and determine whether or not it's good. Because me playing it at the time that I did probably was the best version I played, I, I steam, steamrolled my way through, um, you know, the Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, and then I played both of the DLCs uh, that were paired on the back of it, and obviously it, both of them told, you know, wonderfully impactful tales, and it's like having that baked in and having the Ultimate Edition was totally good with me, awesome. and not to mention that this game, like, has all of that with fantastic characters writing a fantastic narrative, beautiful design, fun, awesome combat, you know, decisions that actually have impact this later on the way that the Mass Effect franchise does, but it also has one of the coolest fucking mini game card games I have ever played. Uh, 
I don't know what the hatred is <laughs> on coming in from Mike number two over here, but like I love Gwent and I had a fantastic time playing it. So, you know, that's, that's just me. That's my opinion. And I thought the way that they incorporated side quests that mm-hmm. incentivize you to seek out side quests, to collect new cards, to try out new different varieties of like enemy designs or like playing against different characters in game. Mm-hmm. It was just fun to me. And it was, it was like, it, it was like Marvel Snap, where it's as simple or as complicated as you want to make it. And it was just, it was a blast. I always respect them going to lengths of putting like a game within a game like that. Yeah. That's, even if I'm, I don't enjoy what I've seen of Gwent, I'm not going to act like I've played it and that I, you know, love it here, there, et cetera. But I will definitely respect them being like, hey, we're playing a game where you have like a full on additional game inside of it. You know, it's like, okay. maybe to the extent of how in the original Red Dead, when you're playing things like Liar's Dice and you have, you know, straight up Texas Hold'em, but it's like a full on game within that actual open world cowboy game. Like it's, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like exactly like Red Dead did a, did a great job yeah. of having you sit there and being like, I could just sit here for another three hours I guess I'm and gambling play poker. Now. <laughs> I guess I'm just playing ga- Red Dead 2, AKA gambling <laughs> simulator. simulator. Yep. So yeah, but yeah, that's, that's my, that's my elevator, not really elevated, long winded pitch on why <laughs> the Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is a fantastic sequel into the Witcher franchise. So why don't you, why don't you well, pick back My question is for that Witcher section. So Witcher 3, you played through it. You say you've beaten the whole thing. You loved yep. it. Yeah. We, do, we keep hearing rumors as far as the Witcher 4. Do you feel like Geralt's story has been told and it needs to move on? Or do you think the Witcher 4 needs to see more Wolf of Rivia in order for it to prosper? Like, I, I don't know how it would feel as far as jumping into you know, the, the feet, shoes, boots, et cetera, of an additional character in that world. I would say that if the Witcher four doesn't feature Siri as the principal protagonist in the game, mm-hmm. uh, I will be mad Oof, okay. because uh, well, it, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I'm of two minds about it because playing as Geralt, obviously he's a beloved character. It would be like playing a, a Halo game without playing Master Chief. We've well, done, that, you've before, done that before <laughs> and it's, it didn't pan out well. Right. I mean, ODST was fun. ODST was great yeah. though. That was still Bungie, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, ODST and Reach both were still Bungie. Yeah. So and that that was those were those were fine stories. But like, I think we have been in like a lot of positions before where people will change protagonists, and so that might make you know the the data and the feedback from communities that might make people a little bit more spooked to try and rock the boat. Indeed. But there are sections of The Witcher Three Wild Hunt where you play as certain characters that fun and just as awesome and powerful and engaging as playing Geralt. Mm -hmm. And I think that they need to lean on, especially like owning up to just bringing more female protagonists in the game. Siri is set up almost by the end of the Witcher three as being like the next, the the next person to assume the mantle as the Witcher. Gotcha. So yeah, that, that would be my hope. Um, But in terms of telling the story, like, I think that they have plenty of time to tell the story of Geralt, even if the Witcher four, cause I mean, Geralt is pretty old mm-hmm. by the end of Witcher four. And so, or Witcher three. So if the Witcher four is a story about how he dies, oh. that would be incredible. And they have a lot of opportunities to explore really cool narrative decisions there. Gotcha. So right. yeah. Cool. 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 Well, let me hop into this next one here. So this is a game that really needs no explanation and don't worry. I'm not going to rug pull everybody again. Like the last one, this is a game that I'm s- starting from the talk about so red dead redemption 2 look if you say the name everyone knows where you're coming from anyone who knows anything about video games has heard of this game they've seen this game 
probably played this game. It's on everything outside of mobile games, right? <laughs> we have a fantastic episode on the Fireside Talks with sure Jason do. Daly. Yep. So go listen to that if you have Definitely. Same. Yeah. If you have not played it, you don't know anything about it, and you're okay with a little bit of spoilers, go ahead and pause us right now. Go listen to the episode and then come right back to us. Yep. Because we're talking about Red Dead Redemption 2, the story of Arthur Morgan. Look, video game sequels happen very frequently. A game does well. You slap a two on it, you continue the story, you continue the world, and realistically, it's going to start to sell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The time it takes to make something like Red Dead Redemption 1 and the splash that it makes in the video game scene and how it nearly changes how people think about video game protagonists and how they interact with the world and then the end of their story. Spoilers for Red Dead 1. It is not very often that you play a video game 30, 40 plus hours and then your character dies at the end. That's just not common in video games. The power fantasy is so real in this oh, world that we Marston. play. John Marston, the man. The power fantasy is so real that you go through, you do your hero's journey, it looks like you're gonna pass away at the end and then you muscle your way through, you beat the big boss and then you get that happy ending. You get to ride off into the sunset. John Marston does not ride off into the sunset. He is gunned down, protecting his family, at the end of his days of the law, just in a pool of his own blood from these lawmen that he had been trying to- Pinkertons. Yeah, these Pinkertons. He'd been trying to you know, shake off his old ways from and help them hunt down his old gang. Yeah. It is a tragic story at its finest, in my opinion, and Red Dead Redemption 1 is one of those games that I hold on to my heart as one of my favorite games of all time. So when you slap a two- on the end of something like Red Dead Redemption, it needs to fire on all cylinders. Oh, yeah. When I tell you that this game pulled out both pistols <laughs> and <laughs> let loose the lead. He said the damn thing. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption 2 is a game of the generation, and I, I don't say that as a joke. I say that as literally if you talk about games in the gen that it came out to in those PS4, um, Xbox One gens. If it's not in the top three, then you're probably having some kind of a vendetta against it. Like that, that game is just incredible, whether you're going in and you're using it as a fishing simulator. We talked a minute there about Red Dead it's 1. It's too long. You can sit there. What? what, what? Two, two. I mean, like, I agree with you yeah. 100% on everything you're saying, but mm -hmm. I will just like interject that the game and say is too long it's, it's too long. That's yeah. a, and that's 100% fine. Yeah. If you talk about the actual game length itself and it's like you had to get it from the beginning to the end is too long, I understand that. Everything that's a masterpiece, whether it be in books, movies, video games, et cetera, there's no such thing as a perfect anything. There oh, are yeah. issues that people oh, yeah. are going to have with it, and there are you know, chinks in the armor that nothing's ever perfect. But when you just talk about so many things coming together in one go, you have all these systems that are taking place, whether it be the wildlife and the vegetation, how you interact in the camps, and the people that you just bump into on every day walking up and down the streets. Yep. Your character's small interactions, like your character's hair growing over time and having to go get haircuts to quote-unquote manage it. Or not, if you want your Arthur Morgan to look a little, you know, old man. You can literally just let his beard grow out, his hair grow out, go live up in the woods and hunt animals and play the game like that and never beat the game and continue to have a good time with it. The fact that there are so many different ways to play the game of course, if you want to beat the story, you got to do the story. But there's so many different ways to actually play this game outside of that main story and what it gives you. Yeah. It just makes it one of the best games of all time. 
very rarely do I have a game where my wife can kind of sit down, watch me play it, and then five minutes later, she's not either walking away or on her phone or going to do something else. This is the kind of game where if I sit down and play this for four hours straight, my wife can sit there next to me and just kind of watch me play it four hours straight. Now, if I start shooting every animal that moves, right, then maybe she's going to look away. <laughs> but <laughs> wife reviews Wife approved. reviews, yes, 100%. Yeah. She'll just, as far as just riding around, whether you're going through the beautiful Saint-Denis or you're out up in the mountaintops in the snow and you're guiding your horse along these more treacherous snowy paths, is just a gorgeous game to look at. It is an incredible game to play as far as the gunplay. I think the gunplay is super, super solid. And there are people that will kind of fight me on that. But I'm able to, between dead eye and then the actual aiming itself, have a good time. They're making you clean your own guns. It's, it's, people will sit there and be like, oh, I have to upkeep these weapons. But it takes five seconds and it just puts you into that world. The game really tries to pull you into the world and make you feel like you're a part of it for better or for worse. Whether yeah. it means you're slowing down when you're in camp, you're not running around like a hooligan. <laughs> Or if you're bumping into too many people in town, you know, the cops will get called on you or something. Like, they try to make sure that you feel like you're there and you're in it. Uh, but the immersion is unreal. It's unreal. It's unreal. It's and unreal. I, <laughs> I genuinely don't think I've ever played a game that is as immersive as this. Mm -hmm. Do I Do I want this level of immersion all the time? Not all the time. Of course not. Not no, really. No. But it's a wonderful game. Like, it, in terms of like them paying homage to the old West. And like you were saying too, with like the first game, Red Dead Redemption being kind of like, obviously them modeling this off of old Western cowboy mm -hmm. action films, like them taking that core identity and being able to bring it into the game world while also incorporating some of the GTA, like uh framework that they had in, in open world design concepts. It's, it's a masterpiece yep. for sure. So it's, holds an incredibly special place. And it's one of those games that I put up on a pedestal so high that it makes me frightened to replay through it because I don't want like the magic of that first playthrough to be diminished in any way, you know. And the, the more scrutiny you pay attention to something, of course, the more gaps you see, the more pieces you see that may be missing. Mm -hmm. But I yeah. kind of want to live in that world where it's like everything has, you know, the beautiful rose tinted glasses and everything's so bright and shiny. So... Yeah, well, I'm, I eventually want to go back through because I had to rush through the back half of the game and I didn't do some of the side missions. But yeah, it's it's one of those like every time you go to boot it up, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can go through this pain again. I talked <laughs> about I talked about um, The Witcher Three in like I I didn't specifically make this point, but both of the main storyline missions and the side quests, like there are side quests that have the same treatment that the main storyline had mm -hmm. in that game. Is that true in Red Dead Two? From the main treatment, like the quality of the, the side missions. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes for sure. Yeah, 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 you know, you'll yeah. get incredible side quests. And similar to what you mentioned with The Witcher 3, there are so many characters in Red Dead 2, whether it be little side missions or even things not fully considered missions, but maybe one-offs you'll just have. There's a very, very common one that a lot of folks know about. You'll go walking out and just out of town and there's a house. You go up to the house and some guy just offers to, hey, come on inside me and my sister were just making some dinner. Why don't you come hang out with us and have some food? And things happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, right? Okay. Then things happen, so I don't want to spoil it just in case anyone hasn't. But that's not a side quest, and that's not anything that's really brought up again. It's, it's just, just a, a thing that happens in the world. Yeah, it's just an overall event in the world. And if you know you come across it, you come across it. If you don't, you don't. But you get a kind of A to Z story out of that little bit 
and it's not presented to you in any way. You even yeah. get small things like seeing someone kind of looking like they're being hung out in the woods. Oof. So then you go off your horse, you have the potential to just ride off and do whatever, or you can shoot them down if you, you want to shoot the rope down or try to go over with your knife and it gives you the option to cut them down if you want to get them down like a little bit more safely. Yeah. And if you go to do that, then you might get ambushed by some people that had set them up and looking for some good Samaritan to take advantage of. And that's, that's just an event. Insane. It's just a thing you come across. Yeah. So you get pieces like that in other games, but having it so like well done and so smooth and just a part of the game world is very uncommon. So yeah. that's why when you see Rockstar and they're taking a decade plus to make a game and you know you get people and be like, I don't know why it's not out yet. And you see that difference between Red Dead 1 and Red Dead 2. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, please take your time. <laughs> like, like, the interesting like, thing to me, like in the conversation of Rockstar is that I've heard so many people say that they would rather get a Red Dead 3 than a GTA 6. Mm -hmm. And I probably feel like even though I don't have as much of a legacy or an affinity with the Red Dead franchise, I can agree with you because I actively, I loved San Andreas. Mm -hmm. I loved Vice City as a kid running around doing gremlin shit and yep, getting five stars and just, yeah, yeah blowing things <laughs> up and, and kind of just like the, I don't know, the action movie shenanigans that are involved mm -hmm. in being in a Grand Theft Auto game. But I'm on board with that, that train of saying like, damn, make another bully, make a Red Dead, get it, don't, yep. but then again, maybe they're they're gonna take the Red Dead treatment and put it in another Grand Theft Auto, and they'll tell an awesome action crime story yeah. that will you know be even better than what we got in GTA Five. I mean, so. that's that's my thought because yeah. I liked San Andreas in Four. I really love what they did with Four as Never far as the four. story. Oh, four, yeah. four, the story is really really cool. So yeah. I love the story of Four, and then I was like, oh well, we'll see what's going on with Five and the introduction of Five with your three main characters that you have the option to switch back and forth between two whenever you want to and using them throughout the story as need be. And then of course the potential tragic end that you can have with those three characters yeah. I thought was amazing. So yeah. at this point, whatever Rockstar wants to do, I mean, they've made enough money and they've kind of earned the right to do whatever they want to do. Would I like to see another bully? Yeah, it'd be cool. I never beat the first bully, but I've seen enough and played a little bit enough to be like, oh, it'd be nice to see a updated sequel with cool graphics. Yeah. But if they're telling me they're making GTA 6, if they're telling me they're making Max Payne 4, I'm just like, cool. I'll wait for it and I'll check it out. Yeah. <laughs> they've, they've earned enough goodwill overall, even with their GTA online shenanigans that are going yeah. on. I'm just like, hey, take your time, make quality product like you've been making. Absolutely. You know what I'll tell you, Will? If you don't feel emotionally ready to do another, do another playthrough of Red Dead 2, mm. I'll make this commitment to you right now. If I can get through enough of my current log and up like games that I've already committed to playing this year and knock them off my list, which I've done a decent job of so far this year. I've done a decent job of managing my current active log this year. I will stream Red Dead 2, and I will stream all of my playthrough of Red Dead 2 for you to watch and enjoy. Okay. That way you can live vicariously through me. I respect that. I promise. And if it doesn't happen this year, I promise it will happen in 2024. 2025 it is. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in here and talk about another really incredible sequel i'm gonna i'm gonna bring us back i'm gonna save the best on my list for last <laughs> and i'm gonna bring us back into the ubisoft realm uh will talked about far cry 3 mm -hmm. um i'm gonna talk about assassin's creed 2 nice. i feel like i've talked about this recently as well so again for long type listeners if i feel like i'm just a just a an audio log in a video game that's on repeat over and over again there's a reason for it because a fucking assassin's creed 2 is goddamn just a near perfect game of like what i want it's yep. the perfect combination of obviously i was enamored with assassin's creed one 
because I had never played a game where it's like, it was the first time I played it where you can do parkour and then you can actively fight multiple enemies at once and manage around that and do like counters and parries and that sort of thing and do really cool stuff with your character. Assassin's Creed 1 didn't have that many mechanics, but Assassin's Creed Two did take that combat system and level it up once more Indeed. while telling, like establishing a brand new protagonist in Ezio Aditore de Firenze. And like just telling his story of like what happened to him and the the kind of the political intrigues with the Vatican and what was going on with the you know principal antagonist in that game. It was just fun. It was well done. I loved going through the game and slowly getting money to build up your little community, your little town that was the home base for Ezio and his family and, and kind of like the, the base of operations. And I remember vividly, obviously the, their, uh, the point of what they were making for, for Ubisoft at that time is like, they really wanted to focus in on the Renaissance as the period of history that they were going to highlight and celebrate in this game. Mm-hmm. And it's just a great period of time to do that and doing mm-hmm. that in, you know, Renaissance Italy of that era. And then just putting an assassin in there. It's just, it's, you know, a recipe for perfection in video games and fun video game design. Is it a perfect game? By no means is it a perfect game. Does it stack up to what I've talked about in terms of The Witcher or even Red Dead 2? Probably not. And it probably would be rough to go back to today. But I mean, I just have fond memories. And this was also a surprise for me because it was either a birthday or Christmas present. And uh, always my parents got me the collector's edition with it's like a huge box and it had an Ezio figure. I still have the figure sitting around somewhere, but I have that box and I've always held on to it. It's one of the few pieces of physical older Xbox 360 games that I played. So this was just the definitive era of that. And yeah, I mean, there's not too much more to say other than the fact that like the the combat design and just the feeling of being Ezio in that world and and just using those, you know, deliciously brutal counters and going through the side quests where you get the legendary armor mm-hmm. and everything. It's just it is perfect. And also, also the continuation of the story of Desmond Miles in in the you know, real world exactly. for the Assassin's Creed verse. Like it, it was fun. And this, this is what I wanted at Assassin's Creed. Three, not so much. So two, we're going to stick with the Ezio trilogy yeah. and that being great. I have my issues with with Brotherhood and Revelations, but oh, still Brotherhood. fun, fun games. Yeah. I love Brotherhood too. So yeah, but two's definitely got to be a hallmark bullet point on my list. Yeah, it's really rare when you get to see a game where you meet your antagonist at their birth yeah. <laughs> and, and then continue on from yeah, there. Exactly. So it, it's awesome. I love Assassin's Creed too. Oh, yeah. it's, and Ezio's probably top 10 video game characters of all time for me. I love the guy. On to my next one here. I have a game that I am getting you to play very, very soon. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't tell you, but I did load it up. I booted it up and I I started playing it just to see. So you got on the train when they talked about Mr. Freeman. So I haven't, um, I haven't gone much farther than that though. I just wanted to boot it up and see what it looked like Mm -hmm. and see like what it, like moved and felt like gotcha. so i literally put like 10 minutes into the game and turned it off so make sure when the combine soldier asks you to throw your like soda can away make sure you throw it at his face and just see what happens okay okay <laughs> i will do exactly that <laughs> for anyone out of the know i am talking about half-life 2 so this is a continuation of the story of gordon freeman who is a scientist over in the black mesa super hidden bunker area and after a bunch of shenanigans in the first game, I honestly have not played the first game like 
recently enough to tell you exactly what happens. I just know it goes from aliens invading to you going through crazy portals in like the last third or so of the game is just shenanigans upon shenanigans where then you, from what I recall, get pulled out of like space and time and become a kind of, not hitman, but it's like you become almost a soldier for like these invisible G time cop. <laughs> but honestly, it's like not super, <laughs> super far off. That being said, Far Cry, oh sorry, Far Cry, goodness. Half-Life 2 drops you in a point where you're Gordon Freeman, you're on that train, and you start back and you get to this city. And as you're into this city, things just start to get super, super crazy as you start working your way through. You blink up with this kind of team. Uh, they're like a resistance that are fighting off the Combine because the Combine have completely taken over the city. And they have these giant spider leg things walking around. They're just cops that are kind of harassing people all the time. It is you're going to be playing it soon. Yeah, I'm not going to so get too much, no into, spoilers, get too much but, into the story. But it's just, it becomes clear as you play through, or hopefully it becomes clear as you play through, how much of an effect in first-person games specifically that Half-Life 2 has left on the industry as a whole. I feel like a lot of these physics-based puzzles that you see in other either first-person games or maybe even just games in general can owe a lot to Half-Life 2. Like Portal. Most definitely. Same same company. So good old Valve. There you go. Um, I feel like... When you are playing through and you get to my favorite section of the game, Ravenholm, it is just a fantastic atmosphere that it was so good for me. And by good, I mean horrific that I stopped playing that game for two months. Wow. Because I got... How, how old were you when you, you first started it? Ooh, I played it on Orange Box. So whatever oh. Orange Box came out, which I think was 08. Oh, yeah. Maybe. So we were in high school at that point. Yeah. I think it was Were you class of 2010? Yep. Yeah. So we were we were sophomores. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2008 when Orange 14 came or 15. Out, but maybe I am a little bit off. Nope. 07. So pretty close. Oh, okay. Um, so yep. 2007 came out, and I was playing through, and I was like, "This is too spooky," and I put it down for two months, and I eventually came back. But <laughs> okay. It, but it was just the game as a whole is fantastic. The gravity gun is the gun that you're going to talk about later on. You're going to see later on, and it really just broke the mold in my opinion as far as first person shooters and the different ways you can interact with your environment and interact with your world and you can see the clear once again you talk about portal and it's like yeah portal you have that portal gun when it's like hey just because it's a first person shooter doesn't mean it's a straight up gun gun you get to have different things and yeah. there are different ways for you to interact with the world so using a, it as a weapon prey stuff going on there it's, it seems like prey man if it informed by half-life a little bit uh, yeah i would say potentially i would yeah, say okay. potentially like the definitely prey from the um yeah, arcane, 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 arcane side, yeah. yeah. But I feel like ultimately when you play through Half-Life 2, one, I'm hoping it has. I haven't played in a little bit, so I can't 100% say, but I'm hoping it held up because when I played it back in 2007 slash 2008, whenever I ended up playing it, actually, I feel like it still held up. And at that point, it is already a couple of years old. And it's just a blast of a game as far as the story. When you're playing through the story, it's one of gaming classic silent protagonists but it doesn't matter because the rest of the team, like Alex and Professor Eli, they really hold the game up. Ugh, I'm, I'm trying to think of like more ways to talk about it without spoiling the story since you're going to be playing it soon. Would you but, say but that the big like thing is just like sound the design? Was it? Was oh, the sound it, design is great. No, no, yeah, was it visually awesome. impressive? Because that's one it's, thing it's that I'm not I going to be for you now. Sure, but back then, back then I think it was. 
unfortunately the source engine has never really been like oh man this is like a cutting edge type of thing That's at least I feel for me like anyways. with valve games like yeah. they they were master crafts in terms of gameplay design yep. not graphical fidelity That's kind of what it is like it did look i think back then it looked fine it was perfectly okay. good but it was not cutting edge and it's definitely not going to be now uh, okay so i think i can't remember if you said you played through or you at least downloaded black mesa which is the it, yeah. yeah so like the mm-hmm. remake of the first one which from what i understand they add a lot of good graphical enhancements so it should look yeah. pretty good so i'm kind of hoping we might get something like that for half-life 2 give this newer generation you know the chance to see some gorgeous graphics on a still technically impressive game i mean yeah i just don't know what i just don't know what uh valve's like business like that's valve is such a mysterious company even in and of itself like obviously they make billions of dollars hands over fist mm-hmm. by having the steam storefront yeah. but like i don't know like what their business objective is in terms of giving us games or titles at all because like have they done anything in terms of providing us like remakes or remasters of some of their beloved classics? Not to my knowledge. And if I'm not mistaken too, wasn't Black Mesa like a third party thing? Community, but, yeah, yeah, community yeah, based and, project. And, but they just kind of give it a blessing. They're like, yeah, yeah you can make yeah, that. They, so. they said, we won't see you. Yeah, so <laughs> I think that's kind of what their take is right now. Like if people want to rehash their games and remake their games and make them prettier as long as they kind of get that stamp of approval, then they're down with it. But yeah. they're not particularly the ones. I feel like Valve tries to make sure things that they make are either pushing the boundaries of what's currently available currently to use, or at least making their stories yeah. richer in some way. They're not just content with slapping a three and then adding on some new weapons. Cause it's like half-life Alex yeah. was that ground. VR. I've, I've only heard incredible things Same. from people who've played that as a VR game, mm-hmm. but I personally don't, I'm not holding my breath for them making a console port nope, or anything in that so. regard. I don't think so. they would. I feel like they made yeah. that specifically for the VR and they have no intention of doing it outside of VR. Yeah. Um, so if they're going to make a three, if, if Valve ever gets to the point where they want to put a three on anything, <laughs> then <laughs> it's going to have to have like a really, really good reason, yeah. whether, you know, be technically cutting edge or just story-wise, they're really putting a bow on something and making a, a stand or making a reason for it to exist versus just saying, hey, this is the end of Gordon Freeman's story or something like that. Okay. But, so I'm going to make a couple of like assumptions and just let me know if I'm like off base here, mm-hmm. but what it feels like in terms of the plot is what I'm assuming the vibes that they're going to give is going to be very similar to a cyberpunk or a blade runner sort of like post-apocalyptic, maybe a little bit more towards the edge of like a, a, a fallout side, less like American post-apocalyptic, but more like sci-fi fantasy post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. in an invaded earth with like new tech and interesting quirky characters that kind of like the side characters are like what make the structure of the plot of the game for you on layered on top of just like fun gameplay design yeah. and like puzzle solving well, that's the good thing is that i even feel like the characters aren't really quirky like in a world like this where it is very futuristic and it's you know alien invaded i feel like it's very simple or maybe it would be easy to be like here is the guy who's this, he does X, and this is the okay. guy that does Y, this is the guy that does B. But a lot of the characters feel very realized and they feel very full and oh, three-dimensional. Okay. And, you know, I can't think off the top of my head and be like, you know, Alex isn't the the plucky girl who's just as strong as the guys, right? Like, she yeah. is just a person that's trying to survive out here alone. She's an actual character. Yeah, so okay. it's, it's really, really cool to see that. And that's another reason why I think the story is so good is just because in this sci-fi crazy world of giant, you know, spider-legged, monsters that are treated as centuries and big old antlion beasts that are running around and making it so you can't walk on sand the characters feel you know grounded and real and okay. you know you're not getting 
I know people will make this joke and I guess now I'm going to make the joke too. You're not getting like the MCU dialogue where it's like, oh my God, Gordon, did you see that? That that was almost us. We were almost squished like a pancake. It was yeah. just, you know, it's, it's very much just like them trying to survive and live day to day yeah. and ultimately overthrow this combine threat that they have on the world right now. So it's, it's awesome. It's a game that I can recommend to anybody as long as you can move your character and aim at the same time. I think you're going to enjoy Half-Life 2. Nice. Cool. I'm I'm really excited for it, and I I, I think I'm looking forward to because I'm going to be able to play it on my desktop and my ally. So super super excited for getting my hands dirty with that game. I'm going to go ahead and jump into another game that I briefly brought up in terms of the franchise as a whole, but Mass Effect Two specifically is, in my opinion, one of like the definitive sequels. When when people say what's a great video game sequel. This, like, I'm imagining the picture of Shepard and uh, Miranda and uh, and Thane on the front of the Mass Effect 2, like, hardcover yeah. case. Like, I owned that game. I owned that box. Another one where it's like, hey, it's, it's Mass Effect. So, of course, you, you can get the Legendary Edition now. So, they've done a decent job. Bioware's done a decent job of preserving those games and making them playable today. Um, but really, as much as I enjoyed playing Mass Effect 3... It has a lot of issues of being built on the foundation of an incredibly strong story that one and two started. And like, I can't say that they stuck the landing with three. Uh, I mean, it's fine. You know, a lot of people have different opinions on three, but two, I really don't think that there's any room for anyone to come in and say two is a bad game in any way. They took the covered shooter mechanics that kind of rose to fame because of the Gears of War franchise. And they were like, let's take this fun, awesome, engaging third-person shooter combat and put it in this sci-fi story that has this entire world um, that's attached to it, that they did a good job in the first one of building out and getting you in there. I'm a sucker for a game with a codex in it that's going to give you a ton of proper (laughs) nouns and civilizations and planet names and explain to you the culture at length and give you like a a narrator that is going to talk like this the entire time and talk about, you know, why the why the, you know, whatever alien race, you know, thinks with their emotions <laughs> and expresses in this, this specific way. And so there's there's a ton of things. It's like all of the aliens, too, mm-hmm. were so believable from a sci-fi, sci-fi perspective that, like, as a kid playing through this, I was like, this. I love this game because it feels really like what an intergalactic council could possibly be like. Gotcha. Um, the, the, you know, obviously the character dynamics and the interactions you have from between the different races, whether it's the Asari or the Turians. Um, and of course, like the, everything that's going on with the, the genophage from the people of, uh, that, that are, are on Tachanka and all of those characters. And, and I, I can't remember all of the, I, the I'm grunts not gonna, I'm and not stuff. Like, any there of are, this. this is a Mass Effect, <laughs> the Mass Effect franchise is full of ton of proper nouns. Yes, so lots folks of nouns. who are like <laughs> not into that, like, I, I don't know, but the game as a whole, they did a wonderful job of looking at all of their weaknesses from the first game and saying, we're going to get rid of every single one of those in really uh, kind of intensifying what made the first game, like the sci-fi elements and the RPG elements fun about the first one. And then just streamlining it. Yeah. Uh, some of the most memorable characters on this cast you can assemble, whether that's going to be Jack or Thane or, you know, some, or Samara, 
um, if, if you choose the actual route and not the other route, which yeah. is Samara's daughter. So, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, the, there, there's, um, there's tons of stuff, not to mention the fact that this is the first time where it's like DLC was almost mandatory to play for you to understand what's going on in that universe and understand, you know, the shadow broker and the lore behind that and everything. It's just, if there's not enough time in this brief little stint of, uh, of this list off, you know, episode where we talk about like all of what makes mass effect too great. But I mean, like there's just so many elements where that came together to make this game just sing perfectly, whether it's, you know, the new worlds that they expanded upon or the worlds that you revisit that are vastly different Indeed. from the ones that you went last time. Like it's cool because the Citadel, which is like the primary galactic hub in this universe, um, changes in each of these three games. And in the second game, it changes in a really cool, interesting, like twisted way sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think it's fun because it was like, it's mass effect two gives me the same, vibes of being this just this dark sequel that tells the story of this kind of like gritty underbelly of this really bright shiny galactic universe that you kind of experience in the first game you're like oh here's where the real business is and they kind of show you what's what's getting done so especially just how you're going about in the second game i mean the start of it it's like oh okay so we're in a different like <laughs> time, oh, yeah. like we're starting off kind of crazy oh yeah and then of course getting through there then as you mentioned that's why it gets really dark and you're kind of seeing the underbelly just because of how it starts who you're working with throughout yep. the majority of the second game where you're kind of getting a completely different side of that first game that you've seen you start the light and you're working with the citadel you're trying yep. to defeat Saren. i can't remember the the main Saren. Saren, yeah. yeah the main antagonist yeah. from the first game and it's like okay cool you're playing like space cop space cowboy basically yeah and then the second one you're like oh it's like you're you know you're now you're for real cowboy. You're like space outlaw almost. Yeah, exactly. Like you're, like, you're anti-hero-esque. Right. So it's, it's very interesting. And I think I would agree with you there 100% when it comes to the Mass Effect, like one, two, three, that original trilogy, two is going to be the one that sits at the top just from how they kind of do everything from A to Z. And yep. just the, the ending, what they do as far as Ugh. all of your choices and everyone that you bring onto the ship and who you trust and who you what choose you do to do with what them. Job. Yeah, who you choose to do what job actually affecting the end yeah, for better or for worse. Yep. It's really, really good. Yeah, it, it's like, um, and obviously you have just these incredible performances from every single voice actor in that game. Martin Sheen mm -hmm. as the elusive as the man. Elusive man. Yeah. And then just some of these other, you know, famous. Obviously, this is another one with uh, Keith David mm -hmm. coming in to be the commander that's like, or, or the admiral. I can't remember. Anderson. Yeah, Admiral Anderson. Yeah, yeah, who came in. It's just like awesome character. Like it's just a star-studded voice cast that they you could tell that the voice, you know, director and everything, like in in the writers put their heart and soul into this game and really made it worth your time. Um, I feel like this is just an example of Bioware being like the 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 standard of excellence when it comes to RPG True. and people getting into RPGs, and it makes me excited to play like older Bioware games to see like if I, if I have that time to see where that legacy goes, if I can go back and, you know, you know, play a little bit more of KOTOR and some of these other, you know, classic, you know, Bioware franchises. So yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent in it. Yeah. I, I definitely, um, am interested to see like what Dragon Age is, is all about, but yeah, that's my stint on, on Mass Effect 2. Why don't you, why don't you bring us up to speed? All right. So we got this one here, game that we've been talking about a little bit here and there. I feel like I have definitely talked about it in the past just because I do love it so much. And it was my introduction to this series, which some people would be like, that's kind of weird starting with this one, but I never had a PS3. So I never had the chance to play Uncharted until I got a PS4 and played Uncharted 4. And can I tell you how cool Uncharted 4 was? I feel like now that I'm talking about it more, I have talked because I've said this specific line that I'm about to say now. 
This is a game that I started playing. I played a couple of hours for, and then I stopped playing it for months. Yeah. And then after a while, played other games, beat other things, came back to Uncharted 4, picked it back up, and I just steamrolled through it after restarting the game. I loved, once I actually got into it, I got my hooks in, or rather it got its hooks into me, being able to play through as Nathan Drake with this story of his brother Sam, you know, coming to terms with how he how far he was gone, the life that he's currently trying to live, being smashed up against the life he was previously living with his brother and feeling like he owes him something after this time of, you know, being away from him was so cool storyline and thematically. It really drug me through, not to mention the gameplay itself is super, super tight. People will love to throw around that, you know, overall the dissonance when it comes to his Uncharted games because you have someone like smooth and suave and he seems like he's nice and likable in the cutscenes. Yeah, quippy. Yeah, and then sarcastic. he pulls out a machine gun and he murders a hundred men. down. <laughs> like they're all mercenaries yeah, too, right? Like, they're, they're not all bad like, guys, right? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like couched as bad guys, but are they really bad guys? Yeah, it's like they're not real people. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but that aside, you know, I'm not here to necessarily argue the themes or argue that kind of the stance, yeah, that ludonarrative yeah. dissonance that people have talked about previously. But when it comes to the actual game, one, you're supposed to be mostly stealthy throughout it, and then if the stealth breaks, that's when the gameplay kicks in as far as actually shoot them up, bang, bang. Can you get through every level stealth only? Everyone, no. I don't okay. think you can get through everyone. And there are plenty of times where there are big old set pieces, like that awesome, awesome set piece where you're driving the Jeep and you're crashing through the city and then you're you know, jumping from the jeeps to jeeps and the trains going alongside you right oh, you can't stealth your way through that classic uh, action yeah, movie shit man so good those set pieces <laughs> for those games are just incredible um so between that the actual shooting gameplay you know the stealth fighting gameplay being able to kind of go from place to place um, the puzzles themselves while none of them are particularly difficult i feel like they tickle your brain and they give you just long enough a break in between the kind of stealthy slash action sec sections to not overstay their welcome. It breaks up the rhythm. Yes, and yeah. it, it makes you, you know, kind of yearn for that, the fighting or yearn for the sneaking sections again versus just doing them back to back to back to back. I'll interject and say that the puzzles in, in Uncharted 3 were fucking dog shit. Like, they were <laughs> they so were dog stupid. Water. Like, they were absolutely <laughs> dog water. Like, I, I hated them mm -hmm. because it was just unintuitive doing like doing it the way that they wanted you to do it it gotcha. just did, it didn't make sense so i'm but, glad to hear that the puzzles are fun this yeah time the puzzles around. are good and four i really yeah. like the puzzles a lot um i would say too you bring it up three for me personally i played uncharted 4 i went through and beat uncharted 4 and i loved it so much so when playstation gave us the nathan drake collection way back in the day for the ps4 and they were like hey you can play through one two and three for free mm -hmm. on ps plus yeah. i was like cool let me play these other games that i didn't get the chance to play because i love four so much and it is a good thing i played four first because i didn't like one at all i'm sure it's a product of its time that's why it was so janky but I kind of liked one I, I think i didn't like one at all yeah okay I, I had so many issues with one whether it be like the shooting and the action yeah and then you know the story was very bare bones but yeah. it was it was back in the day is what it is yeah People love two, and I thought two was okay, but definitely not as hype on it as other people were. Like if I'm talking about the Uncharted games themselves, four is still my favorite. And then I'm kind of on the same level with a lot of people where three didn't really hit as far as what I was looking for. Okay. Both in story as well as the overall gameplay. Yeah. But Uncharted Four really gave me everything I was looking at in a kind of oh, what is his name? 
Indiana Jones-esque, you know, if you're playing a male Tomb Raider, things that you're looking at like right, that, right. you know, you got your kind of plucky hero that's looking for treasure and he's doing puzzles and he's doing just enough platforming to kind of get you by. The platforming is by no means difficult in that game, but adding in things like the grappling hook and the, you know, spikes where you have those kind of rocky walls that you're stabbing the spikes into and it gives you just an extra little thing you need to do while climbing around just really makes the game significantly more at least on my end, I feel like I'm invested when my character's moving around, when you're interacting yeah. with the world, when you're getting from A to B. And it, of course, gives them time to just kind of chit-chat and have a little bit of fun with whoever he's currently adventuring around with, which is, I would say, half the fun of the Uncharted games is mm -hmm. just really listening to the conversations and the interactions that Nathan and the other characters are having. So a question that I do have for you about this game is something that I'm curious about because of Naughty Dog's legacy and obviously the most recent games that Naughty Dog has put out for us. Naughty Dog has the ability to lean into some brutality yep. during moments of gameplay. Was Nathan Drake brutal in Uncharted 4 against enemies? Not particularly. Or, or do they kind of just like die off? Like, is it just kind of like it's, shoot them, they'd fall over? It's very you know, James Bond, Indiana Jones. So okay. yeah, if somebody's dying, it's like they're getting, you know, stabbed and so then they kind of like it's uh, not or. like you shoot an enemy in the leg and they start screaming and like crawling away and being like trying to negotiate with you like no. hey, hey man yeah, no, like, cool, don't do it cool. don't do it yeah no yeah. most of the time you shoot somebody in that game and you die like okay. you can even get into plenty of situations where you're sitting there with a grenade launcher and you shoot at a group of people and they explode but they're like power rangers where they go like <laughs> they like rag they, yeah, they flip around <laughs> <laughs> they, like flip and do front flips okay. and land okay so it's it's very i mean it's not cartoony obviously because it, it tries to play very realistic More with what they're doing movie, but it's PG definitely ask hundred percent there yeah. yes very action movie very pg-13 um i mean those brutal parts are when it's just kind of you doing some good close range fighting with your brother when you're fighting nadine which is awesome when and it's mostly her being brutal whoa, against whoa, whoa. you yeah it's just this <laughs> hold on now this bad -ass don't don't talk about me having to fight mommy okay <laughs> saying, saying she there's barely a fight she beats the hell out of both of them oh shit <laughs> yeah so okay. she's like she is awesome and yeah she's like over here just like takes the jacket off and you're just like oh damn it's about to go down oh, and damn. this whole time you've been fighting you know hand-to-hand -hand fighting which is so good too you got the interactions with you beating up on like a normal goon and if you're near a wall you know you'll do like a nice kind of interaction with the wall or you'll kick somebody off of an edge like there are those um, contextual interactions whenever you actually meleeing or fighting someone hand-to-hand -hand. Yeah. so you feel like nathan drake is is pretty competent when it comes to fighting okay. until he comes across somebody who can actually fight and then she beats the hell out of him and her brother uh, rather and his brother at the same time you know you get the beautiful part where it's following nathan so he gets kicked out of a window <laughs> and then he goes tumbling out you have to climb your way back in and the whole time you're hearing nadine just beating the shit out of sam <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's so cool okay and even going back when they have a couple of flashback sections which that's maybe the one thing that people may kind of knock the game on in my opinion is that there are sections where they do slow it down so someone's like oh the pacing's off okay. because they do a flashback area where you see nathan as a kid and you know nathan is a teenager and you have to go back and just kind of figure out how he got to where he was but it worked for you i loved it because i didn't have that context from the first three games yeah so four was me getting that whole package and they gave me a really good jumping off point to know who nathan drake was i could play four without having to play any of the other ones and i understood through character interactions and through those gameplay sequences of playing a younger nathan where i'm like okay cool this is where he came from this is his lineage this is where he started as far as being you know that kind of plucky thief yeah. and then getting his way up to here where he has the family he has the life he always wanted but is he still yearning for something more 
here comes his brother to quote unquote kind of ruin it all. Yeah. You know, give him that like that hand back in. Like every time I think I'm out, they're pulling me back in that he yeah. doesn't need, but he's kind of looking for. So it's it's awesome just seeing him try to come to terms with attempting to be a family man, but really wanting that sense of adventure back in his life. So it was neat. It was good. That's Highly exciting. recommend it. Uncharted Four. Two of these games, games that I have on my list, to my my backlog. Gotta so it's it. like I gotta I gotta do it, man. I gotta do it, and it's like I I owe it to myself to do it since I'm like halfway through three, yep. as it is. So I have to I have to get to it. I have to play it. Um, I'm only I've only heard all of the things that check all of my boxes for fun action shooter games that are like lighthearted that I I want to sink my teeth into, which will be I think it'll be a nice change of pace. Um, they're talking about lighthearted. We're about to get into some lighthearted stuff right now, right? We're about to get some real lighthearted. The next game, dear listener, is one of the most lighthearted games I've ever played in my life. False. Wrong. I phase <laughs> rugged you. I am talking about The Last of Us Part Two as being one of the not only best sequels mm-hmm. of all time in an existing franchise, Talk but one it. of the best games Ooh. that i have ever Ooh, played talk about of it. all time I, I can hear the laptops booting up now i can, I can start typing it. on your computers motherfuckers because we're going on a goddamn ride okay the last of us part two is so good the writing in this game is great oof the writing in this game is incredible <laughs> he said the I, thing <laughs> you know I, in terms of the way that they arranged the narrative in the story um and the way that you know first obviously i'm gonna get into major spoilers for folks so if like you know you haven't played tlu 2 or you just started part one and you haven't gotten into part two yet um you know there are rumors about a remake for the last of us part two so you know just keep your fingers crossed and x out of the episode now <laughs> but i'm i'm here to say that like i while if I was Neil in Neil Druckmann's position or in the the writer's room or the the, the game director mm-hmm. for this game, would I have laid out the narrative in the way that they did here? No, but I respect the way that they did it and the effect that it had on me as a player. The Last of Us Part Two is interesting. I was talking to other friends about it now, and I was I was talking to Dan from from the Elder Trolls, and he was talking about it being like one of the ones that I, he has not gotten around to playing yet. He I think he was like chatting with you on Instagram about it a little bit too, and I was like, dude, you have to do it. Like you have to play this game. But I was also like, prepare, like get yourself emotionally, emotionally ready, ready. <laughs> to play this game because this is a draining experience going through it. Because all of the all of the things that you loved from the Last of Us Part One, the way that you fall in love with Ellie as a little girl they are taking that character and they're going in a direction that you would have never expected for somebody who was fun and witty and lighthearted in the first game. She becomes one of the most brutal, jaded um, antagonists that have ever, that I I have ever gotten. It's like you, you see, obviously the, the point of this game is talking about how the cycles of violence change and warp people over times and make them, they, they make them into different people and how violence itself has the capacity to, influence your decision making and influence your ability to connect with other human beings in your life and that's what you are supposed to take away from the last of us part two you're not supposed to take away oh i didn't like that they made the real ellie in the way that, but i love that character in the original game no joel was not your daddy Oof. they fucking offed him in this game Oof. i agree with the fact Spoilers. that abby did no wrong okay she avenged her daddy <laughs> and ellie guess what ellie also didn't do anything wrong from her perspective because they're both they're both wrong for doing what they did. That's mm-hmm. the point of The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. They're making you question what your understanding of violence and morality in the real world, in this fake real world is. Um, not to mention the fact that the, like, the gameplay is some of the best third-person shooter gameplay of all time. Like that's, I that's talked accurate. about... 
I talked about, you know, obviously The Witcher 3 being incredible, Mass Effect 2 being great, you know, cover shooter styled game. The Last of Us Part 2, not only from a mechanical standpoint, sings, but it's like the way that the Rockstar integrated these really cool world events happening that made it feel immersive and realistic. When you shoot somebody in a leg like we were talking about in Uncharted and like you see their kneecap bones explode out of their leg and then they're crawling on the ground like screaming and you slowly walk up as Abby or Ellie with a big fucking shotgun in your hand and they're like, hey, 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 come on now. We're like, I, I have a wife and daughter at home. Hey, no, seriously, like I'll give you whatever you want, whatever yep. you want. And you just, you fucking blow their head off and you see the viscera of their brain matter splatter across the concrete on the ground. Mm -hmm. Nobody has done that before. And I don't think anybody is going to be able to do that again in the near future. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of how real and brutal that felt um, and how, how, how grounded that experience felt. Not to mention the fact that this game does an incredible job of bringing in a lot of diverse characters, a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of characters. Like I talked about, one time in, in a forum or, or in discord talking about wanting to know a little bit more about the leader of the WLF and people were like, Isaac was only in there because he only needed a couple of scenes to be in there to make his presence felt and known. Yep. And it's like, there are different, they, they, they kind of drop bits and pieces of the world and the information around you. And you learn again, Naughty Dog is a master of contextual storytelling and you learn more about this world as you interact with just these subtle elements that are based around these levels that you're kind of traversing through. Is it kind of railroaded? Sure. But mm -hmm. most first person games are like this game wasn't really like really designed to be like a, you know, open world explore tears of the kingdom style experience It is designed to get you in there and give you a lot of like versatility in gameplay options and tackling, you know, whether it be the camp with the scars or uh, the infected, yeah. that sort of so situation. Yeah, definitely saying that your options when playing aren't necessarily tied into the, fact that the place is open world there's a couple of sections that are like that but it's really about how are you going to tackle these areas these small you know level to level camps and whether you're going to be stealthy or if you're just going to go in there guns blazing which they give you the tools to do both and it's yeah. kind of up to you and that's my overall i guess my my issue with some people when they talk about how the game wants you to be brutal and then it kind of slaps you on the nose with a paper and tells you stop being brutal you know forgive stop people being violent yeah it's like stop being violent but then it gives you the tools to be ultra violent but i mean for me that's kind of the whole point is that <laughs> yeah. you have the choice to be but like i've told people many times you went through that whole game or you, most of that you game go through stealth the, right? I, can, I can go through the majority of the game stealthy and not stealthy stabbing people you can go through stealthy and not kill a single person yeah i've had this conversation a lot where People like, I just hate killing the dogs. This is so stupid. They make you kill the dogs. You don't have to. I was like, I've only had to kill one dog the whole game, and that's the one you have to kill during a cutscene. the story. Yes, the cutscene yeah. makes you kill a single dog. Every time else, I literally avoided the dogs. And is it hard? Yeah, it is hard. Sometimes when you're trying to do the quote-unquote right thing, it's difficult. It's not easy. Yeah. I could have just pulled on a dynamite bow and shot everybody every time I saw them and had like a great time because of how bloody and gory and how much oh, they yeah. quote unquote celebrate, you know, the violence in the game. But I mean, if I did that and then I get my ending that I get, not that the ending changes, but you get the ending that you get. And then I feel bad about it. I'm like, it's cause you're supposed to feel bad. You went through and you killed a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you went through and you killed a bunch of people and it's like the story of vengeance in the tale. Like you knew you would, you should have known if you know anything about like writing and, and the way that narratives work is that you knew this yeah, was never going to end, end yeah. well for, for Ellie. The classic, even from you go for vengeance, beginning. you dig two graves, right? Yeah. So, But like, also like, 
outside of that, outside of like, you know, people getting in their bag about, you know, Naughty Dog getting on their high moral high horse with this game. Uh, Naughty Dog did an incredible job of telling a beautiful love story between Ellie and her partner. I can't remember. Dina. Dina. That's yeah. right. Yeah. By voiced by Shannon Woodward, one mm-hmm. of my new favorite voice actresses. And, 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 and not, not to mention the, the story, the, like, obviously the very complicated love story that you see on the back end when, you know, 40 hours in, or maybe 25 hours into the game, you start playing as Abby yep. and you learn about Abby and like, you know, obviously this, who you, you see as this villain throughout, you know, the beginning, you know, first 20 or so hours experiencing this game. And then like, suddenly you're assuming this role as this person that you kind of like, you, you've been built up to hate mm-hmm. over the course of this game. And then learning about how this is also a real person and everything. Like, I think the story here is beautiful. And I think like the tragedy, like the, like the scale of tragedy in this game is what sets it apart from other games in the past too. Mm-hmm. So that is my, that is that is my stance on the Last of Us Part Two. It, it's not going to be changed or swayed <laughs> by anybody. I'm looking forward to seeing what else they have in the Last of Us universe. I know that they're Naughty Dog and Sony are going to market this game to death. I'm probably going to be sick of it by ten years down the line. But you know, when they finally decide to come out with factions and Bumbie, Bungie gives it Bumbie, Bumbie, <laughs> Bungie gives Bumbie. it its stamp of approval, um, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there with you. Maybe we can do multiplayer factions. Oh, or for something sure. Like I'll be that. down with it. So, yes, I'm happy. That is it. You have anything else you want to cover, Will? No, that is everything on my end. We just got some great games. And I will say right now, we talked about this being the definitive list. I I see us potentially doing a, a, a part two. Because yes, there are too many good sequels <laughs> in the world. Everyone knows this. So Everyone many. knows this. I'd love to hear yeah. some of the sequels from y'all that are listening to this episode now. So, you know, obviously we missed some. I'm not going to sit here and say, if we missed any... There's a million great sequels, and we can't put them all on this list. We've Don't let me get my bag about Spyro 2. I'll sit here for another two hours right <laughs> now. We talk about conquering bad for a day. <laughs> but honestly, go ahead, uh, post something down there. You know, Let us know what some of your favorite sequels are, because we'd love to hear them. And you know, potentially we do a part two in the future, and we talk about some more great sequels that we like, or you know, some that y'all may dislike. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, folks, that is going to be it for tonight. A big thank you to all of our listeners who've made it to us, made it to us, made it with us this far. Mm-hmm. That we made it to the end of this episode. There you go. Uh, if you've enjoyed our content and you want to support us further, as always, please feel free to leave us a rating review on your platform of choice, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, or Good Pods. Um, we love any and all feedback that you like to give on the show. Will, if people want to reach out to you on Zitter, where can they find you? Find me. <laughs> in the coldest depths of hell you can imagine like, the I'm hell like, that elon runs i'm like i don't even know if i can make a joke better than whatever he's turning twitter into at this point but yeah you can find me on the the artist formerly known as twitter at real king zozotai that is real k-i-n-g-z-o-s-o-t-a-i and with that everyone please keep gaming take it easy and have a great friday night deuces Guess what, everybody? I'm changing the end to the outro to have a little like post episode wrap up and talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer, right? Okay, so I went to go see Oppenheimer oh with Sarah and Zach, <laughs> right? Oppenheimer, I'd give it a solid six out of ten.
Oh, um, it was oh. not. It was not even close to my favorite Nolan movie. Oh. I didn't think it like like we talked about. Like I talked to you about my assumption that Oppenheimer would be like a visual masterpiece and be like, yeah, like this is a great movie to go see in IMAX. Mm-hmm. I didn't see a fucking. I didn't see that many visual effects at all. Besides, like fucking the background of Killian Murphy getting blurred out as he's having mental lapses about the morality of like you know creating the atom bomb that you know destroyed so many Japanese. Because y'all saw it in IMAX, right? No, we she she got the regular oh, theater regular ticket. Tickets, okay, so. but so, but you so you didn't like the Trinity test and you didn't like the I felt like especially the first twenty minutes or so and it would happen interspersed throughout the movie. But when it talked about him getting really in his bag with the quantum physics and everything, and I love that like, part. Yeah, it had like the sections where it showed you know like the almost like an explosion if I'm not mistaken but of course it was supposed to look like an eyeball yeah and a lot of times it would kind of juxtapose with his eyeballs every time he was staring into the rippling of the water and it would show just like the different like kind of atoms exploding in the background when it yeah. showed that so I mean I, so many beautiful little visual pieces I thought the cinematography in that movie was fantastic the section when after the actual bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima great. happened and he was yeah. walking into the auditorium everyone's like all super american waving their flags yeah. and creep, and he's just like having a panic he's attack literally breaking down yeah. as people and like it's so interesting too because he's able to sit there and like make a speech and get these people all in their like patriotic bag while at the same time he's like coming to realization of the effects of what he has actually done yep. to real human beings i loved also the scene where he actually meets uh truman i think yep yeah, yeah, he gives, Gary and, Oldman. and then and then he's like, yeah, is that yeah, it's Gary Oldman. It's, it's Gary crazy Oldman. to think that that was Gary Oldman. Yeah. But then he's like, you know, Mr. President, I I feel like I have blood on my hands. And the dude just like leans back in his chair exactly. and he's like, get this sissy out of here. You <laughs> he make said, sure that crybaby doesn't, doesn't come, come back. back yeah. He's like, you didn't drop those bombs. I dropped those bombs. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like, get out of here. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. I wonder if he was like a megalomaniac. Like, I wonder if he True. really was like that. I don't know. But I mean, I didn't consider that a megalomaniac style from what I was taking from that scene was understandably Oppenheimer, J. Robert Oppenheimer being yeah. like, I made a weapon and yes, someone else pulled the trigger, pressed the button, etc. but I'm responsible for it. But I mean, ultimately it's the kind of thing where it's like, did he, was he a key part of it? Of course, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend like without him, it would have never happened. I feel like it wouldn't have been as expedited. Without him, the Germans could have done it first. Well, at that point that it was going, I mean, we, that's what they thought. But then at the point when they actually they dropped like, it on Japan, the, the Germans, uh, Hitler just committed yeah, suicide. That's right. And the Germans right. were given up. Yeah. So that's why they were done. But Japan hadn't surrendered yet. And they were like, okay, let's go ahead and stop this. We're sending people over there to still die in droves. Yeah. And we're going to drop a bomb on these two war-esque places obviously they killed a bunch of innocent people and it was horrible but they were like oh these places are still like main sections that have like war producing capabilities and if we blow these both up then they'll stop which is yeah. what they did but the re- really what it came down to is truman not trying to console him but just being like this is not about you yeah i dropped this those bombs than you. yeah i dropped those bombs i've made that choice this is me like and because he's a politician and i'm sure he understood the effects or maybe he didn't and he just thought it's what needed to be done He's like, I'm not sitting here crying about it. World needs to go on. You can't be crying about this as well. But yeah. of course, I feel like it's not just Oppenheimer being like, oh, I have blood on my hands from this one moment. It ties back to the very end when he's like, I think we changed the world forever based on what mm-hmm. I helped do. Yeah. And it's just, it's accurate, but it's also like, eh. Yeah. So 
don't get me wrong, the writing and the acting all like S tier. Like I wouldn't be surprised if it like gets nominated for best picture. So you can't tell me that the writing and the win. acting is no, S tier, no, no, no. but then the it, movie overall is a six out of ten. It was good, but like that score up, sir. Okay, I'll take an eight out of ten. But okay, listen, like the like my bar for stuff. I went back and watched old Nolan stuff, like in the old like like Memento, like okay. some of his old. Have you seen you like some Memento of, better than Oppenheimer? Yeah, I'm impressed. Okay. Yeah, I love Memento, yeah. but like. It also combines with the fact that I, like, I've seen, like, I was it was super into, like, World War II history, and, like, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a documentary called The Atomic Cafe, mm-hmm. um, and it is a, like, a, uh, like a dark humor, um, you know, documentary that talks about, like, archival footage of nuclear warfare and nuclear tests, and that movie, in my opinion, did a better job of showing the gravity of the nuclear bomb and like obviously like it it shows you every single bomb that they tested and every single detail of like the effects or the impacts of bomb like they go into depth of like footage that was recorded in hiroshima and nagasaki after the air bursts like went off there yeah. and like what happened and like they show you the shadows on the wall and like the people in the hospitals after everything that happened there and like it also shows you footage. Have you ever seen footage of an H bomb going off? I don't think so. It's fucking horrifying, it's scary, dude. Yeah. You're talking about like something the size of like New York City exploding like a balloon out of the mm-hmm. water. It's it is chilling. And like, don't get me wrong, like the the actual explosion itself, it was really cool. The way they did the sound design and obviously the delay and the effect, because obviously you see the explosion before you feel the the force of impact yeah. and kind of like the scary sound that they have, like with that coming through. It was all really well done, but it's also Nolan has this thing that he does where it's like all of like the events that were, you know, kind of in this, you know, historical fiction, not, not, it's not even historical fiction. It's like based on true events, but it's also kind of like dramatized. He has this, and he's been doing this since uh, inception where it's like every time characters talk to each other or the way that he writes dialogue or directs it, it feels like a lucid dream. And it just like, I've seen it before and he's continued to do it. And like they did it in tenant and it just didn't really work for me in this kind of like historical dramatized fiction of like Oppenheimer's life. I love Killian Murphy. I was very sad to see Florence Pugh go the way that she did, but you know, what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised just because what you talked about there with the atomic cafe, that sounds really cool. But yeah. I think the big thing about the fact that the movie's Oppenheimer is that I mean, the main draw is the bomb and the fact that he worked on the bomb. Yeah. But it tries to stay true to the fact that it's following J. Robert Oppenheimer and what he did and how, what things he was a part of. Yeah. So even when it talks about like Nagasaki and Hiroshima and the actual bombings themselves, like he wasn't there to see it and he didn't watch yeah, it. So that's exactly. why they don't so show that's it. That's why, yeah, you don't yeah, see you it don't as see much. It. He hears yeah. it on the radio and hears about the aftermath just like everybody else did. So that's why they don't get like too in-depth as far as you know, the H-bombs, like it sounds like in the story, I haven't read through his book yet, so I don't really know as far as how he went, but he was trying to stop the super effectively, or at least, you know, contain it. He didn't want it to... He didn't want the, the, yeah, the super or the H-bomb Yeah, he didn't didn't want those to really go, so instead of being like, oh, you know, we're going to kind of show you like the aftermath and the effects and what things are like options and what they can do, he was pretty much against it for the most part, so it's like, we're not really going to get into it. We're not going to show the extra bombings because he was never a part of that. And, you know, the last thing he saw right. was the bombs getting boxed up and shipped off to who knows where. Yeah, exactly. And and also, like, that, that movie that I saw kind of did a really good job of explaining the implications of, like, what happened during the project. And, like, 
obviously what happened during the tests and what happened in real life when these bombs were actually used. And I also like learned in depth about the whole, like, I feel like it also, some of the drama of the movie, this, like the scary part of the, like that they really leaned on in the film and the dialogue is that the fact that like the scientists didn't know whether or not the chain reaction would stop. And like, there was, there were scientists and people that had done the the math yeah, and felt like it was going <laughs> to ignite the atmosphere on fire. But I learned about that when I was like a kid. Yeah. So it wasn't new to me. That wasn't like a piece of history that I hadn't like learned before. It was just like super dramatic. And I was like, okay, I, I get it. And then, and then obviously like the man himself making some pretty bad decisions. I, you, what I enjoyed the most though, throughout that movie was kind of the drama between him and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. And like the kind of like the, it wasn't back really, and forth. It was yeah, like the cat and mouse. Exactly. The political back and forth and also kind of like the courtroom drama that they have kind of towards the end there after the whole stuff with the bomb. Romney coming in. Clutch. Dude, that was so cool. And he disrespected that man yeah, so did. badly, yeah, but did. the dude like literally just told it like it was. Yeah. And it was, it was so cool to see that. But yeah. So what do you think? Is Barbie a cinematic masterpiece of that's going to give you that's going to give you that's going to I'm going to get my money's worth out of if I pay movie theater money. I think you would get your money's worth out of if you paid movie theater money, but I'm also not the kind of person to just be like you have to go see this is going to change your life. I feel like Barbie's one of those movies where it is a surprising like message for anybody who would go see it, young, okay. old, male, female, etc., okay. etc., everything in between. That being said, I mean, if you do, if you don't go to the movie to go see it, like you I'm not going to be like, "Oh man, you missed out on a movie specific title versus something like Oppenheimer I could potentially say because the Trinity scene itself I can imagine watching that on my TV at home and it being cool but not being as cool as seeing it in a you know theater, theater yeah screen that's 30 yeah. 100 no 300 foot would you ever want to go effect. to one of those special imax theaters that have the like the 11 DX. mile long yeah. shit oh of course yeah because like, yeah, yeah. you heard about that like the the huge yeah, IMAX the 70, reels. 70 millimeter yeah. yeah yeah that'd be awesome that'd be really cool to see that yeah cool awesome that's our post show wrap up yep, yep go see them both barbie and oppenheimer absolutely we'll catch you next time with the friday night game cast yeah <laughs> bye y'all <laughs>